your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle is out. Danny Mac is in. So you went to bed. Danny Mac had just finished up the basketball game. St. Louis University winning again, 78-59 over Indiana State. You wake up in the morning, and here's Danny Mac again. What's going on, Randy? Good to see you, my man. Hey, great to be here. Good win for SLU. They have officially added, by the way, a game on Thursday. That'll be a big game against NC State, and they're going to try to go to 6-0. If they win that game... Without question, they'll be top 25. It's interesting because Chris May and Travis Ford told us before the season, hey, this is literally going to be a day-to-day proposition in terms of putting together the schedule. They tweet on Saturday night to everybody in college basketball, hey, we've worked the phones, but we're looking for a game. And lo and behold, you're able to find a game in three days. Not that I ever did this, nor do I ever hope to go down this line. And I hope you've never had to do this, too, because you've been happily married for many, many years. But it's a little bit of online dating right now in uh, oh, totally. in college yeah. basketball. You know, it's it's you know what what's your resume? Well, here's my resume. Okay, let's get together and have a little date. So that's what's happening right now with NC State. So they're going to meet on Thursday night. That game will be at Chaffetz. It will be uh, a home and home. So they're going to play in um, in uh, at NC State. They're going to play in 2023. So they're going to play each other there. Uh, NC State's a good team. They didn't want to just have a blood donor come to Chaffetz. Mm-hmm. That would have been useless. So. Right. They need a good team to come in there. They have, they're the second team out of the top 25. SLU is. So if they win this game, that puts them in unquestionably. And then you would have three teams, Mizzou, Illinois, SLU, top 25 for the first time since 1994. And we just haven't had time because they scheduled the game yesterday morning to know whether or not that game will wind up on FS Midwest. We hope that something happens during the day, but when it does, we'll know about it here on 101 ESPN. Yeah, SLU is trying to find a TV partner for this game. Still don't know about uh, Fox Sports Midwest. Could be on NBC, maybe the A10, even ACC Network. Don't know yet. ESPN Plus still. To me, it's got to get on TV. Yeah, it's a good game to have on TV. Because, Randy, at this stage in the game, it's one thing to play really good teams and to get those wins, and it doesn't matter if you're Mizzou Illinois, I don't care what program you're talking about. You got to have these games on TV. These voters, the writers, the coaches are all watching each other. You're kind of flipping around and you're seeing these games pop up and you watch. That's how you get votes, especially when it's not a scheduled game on a, you know, when you didn't see it in December 1st that that game was supposed to be on and it just pops up and you've got a good team like SLU and NC State going head to head. That's how you get those votes. You got to have those games on TV if you can, uh, if you can possibly do it. One more note on last night's game. I know Travis in the postgame interview said that he wasn't happy with the last six minutes of the first half, but 
When SLU is on their game, I think they can play with anybody in the country this year. I would agree. They're they're deeper than they've ever been under Travis Ford. This is his fifth season. They've got three seniors that are so good. Hassan French, Javante Perkins, who's a pure scorer, and then Jordan Goodwin. Jordan Goodwin is going to go down in SLU history as one of the greatest players they've ever had. Statistically, it'll wind up being one of the great careers that SLU has ever seen. Assists, double-doubles, so rebounds, points, all those things. He's going to wind up being in the top ten. He had another double-double last night. And the one thing he's finally doing is shooting the ball from the outside right. with some type of consistency. And the thing that we haven't heard that was kind of the bugaboo for SLU over the last couple of years, it cost them some games. It hasn't cost them yet. Free throw shooting. Right. Hasn't cost them yet. So knock on wood, that'll be the case going forward. They played really well, and they play so hard, Randy. And Yuri Collins is a terrific player in, in terms of just being a pure point guard. So they're fun to watch, a lot of fun to watch. And they uh, they really dominated that game, even though, you know, Travis is always going to say, well, our, our guys didn't uh, do this for six minutes. Yeah. They dominated that game basically from the opening tip. 78-59, slew over Indiana State. Congratulations to the Fighting Illini as well. They knocked off Minnesota 92-65. to Dan, as we were closing out the show yesterday, we got word from Bob Nightingale of USA Today that, according to his reporting, MLB owners and executives want to delay the start of the baseball season because of coronavirus. They want, and I don't know how this would happen by May, every player to be vaccinated. The players want to play all 162 games with full pay. And I spent the day yesterday trying to figure out why, with what they were able to accomplish last year in baseball and what the NFL and college football and the NBA in a bubble, but they're starting up and the NHL starting up, why would baseball want to cut down on the number of games they're going to play and delay their start? I can't figure it out. The only thing that would make sense is that the owners took it in the shorts last year. You know, they they didn't have fans, so they're trying to mitigate the losses going into this season. I can understand that. The players are saying, look, I want my 162. I want my full pay. So from their perspective, they're saying, I want to play a full season. I'm wondering, Randy, if you push it back. So say you don't play in April. Can you get a full season in May? If you add the seven inning doubleheaders and say you play a little bit into October and still have your expanded playoffs from a fan's perspective, though, I feel for a fan. You don't want to hear this stuff anymore. No, we already went through it last summer. I don't want to hear I don't want to see this aired the dirty laundry that was going back and forth and here we go again. Fans don't want to hear about the finances of the game. They just want to see baseball. They just want to see that these guys are back and playing. And to your point, if the NHL is back, the NBA is back, sports are back, football is getting through it, college football is getting back, college basketball is back. And now all of a sudden when we have a vaccine being rolled out and by that time a great majority of our population is going to be vaccinated, and you're going to say, well, nope, we're not going to do this because we want everybody fully vaccinated. That's not going to fly for a lot of sports fans. It's just not going to fly. One owner said to Bob Nightingale to have 162 games and to start spring training at the normal time without players being vaccinated. That's just crazy. Does Arizona and Florida, with their cases spiking, really want teams with about 125 people in each organization coming to town without vaccines? Well, you would hope that at some point with the vaccine that we would, the the old term, flatten the curve a little bit. And it's incumbent upon everybody, if you are uh, 
Major League Baseball employee, player, manager, front office person, whoever you are, you have to, just like everybody else should have, experience and exhibit high levels of personal responsibility. Here's the other question, Randy, and I'm just throwing it out there, and and you can text in to 65780 on the Air Comfort Service text line, but I'm curious what you think. If we were in year two of a CBA of, let's say, a seven-year deal, would we be having this conversation? Because we're going into what will be a very contentious CBA, and it's hovering over the game, would we be having this conversation? They're, they're bickering over what everybody seemed to like. Rule changes last year, generally speaking. I mean, we still don't have a DH. They're fighting over that because it's coming down to money. And now we're fighting over this, and this is going to get contentious too because players are going to want to play. Yes. Players are going to want to say, I want my 162 because I, I already took it in the shorts last year by only playing 60 games. I'm out a lot of money from last year, and now you're telling me I'm going to be out more money this year? No, that's not going to fly for me. I want to play. And if we got through it last year without a vaccine, and now we're going to have some guys vaccinated and some not, and other sports are playing, no, that doesn't fly for me. That's the key for me is I could understand the owner's approach last year because we didn't know what we were dealing with. Even though cases are spiking, there's a better handle actually on the virus now than there was last year as they started the season and as we moved into the start of the season. Even though there isn't a handle in terms of the the number of cases and the number of deaths that are occurring in our country, at least we know what it is, where it comes from, and how to avoid the virus. And I can understand from a player's standpoint, because you dealt with it last year, hey, if you're willing to show that responsibility, then I think that you've earned the right to be able to go to spring training. I would assume that managers and general managers and president of baseball operations right now are telling their players, hey, guys, gear up as if we're going to have spring training in February. But that puts a player in a really tough spot because guys are creatures of habit. So there are some guys that are saying, okay, after Christmas is when I start getting on a mound. I start doing my long toss. I start getting more aggressive with the bat. I'm starting to maybe see live pitching at my local facility or whatever I'm trying to do so that when I roll into spring training, I'm just about there. I'm I'm getting ready because February 22nd, which was the first game last year, I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. And and now I'm being told not to. I They're, they're put in a really tough spot. And, and so what do you do? Do you say, are the players saying, hey, maybe we can bubble up? Or maybe do you say we can have position groups show up? So mm-hmm. maybe, okay, our infielders are going to work with Jose Okendo for uh, from 10 to 11. And then from, then get away and go work out. In a, in a small group and then from like one to two you go with Jeff Albert or something like that but have some type of, of, of spring training it's not ideal but just trying to get ready for a season it's, I'm just trying to think of the baseball side of this too it's it's odd but I'm with you Randy I, I think you got to try to play I don't understand that and we should note that throughout the course of this week major league managers have been meeting virtually with the media this is normally what they would do down at the winter meetings but no winter meetings so it's all virtual and all the managers are saying, I'm planning on starting on time. Absolutely. Aaron Boone and, and Davey Martinez. And we're telling Martinez. our players to do it, too. Yeah, right. So uh, you've got a couple of owners going to Bob Nightingale and saying, yeah, we, we can't start on time. We have to delay things for a month. But 
the players and and managers and, and coaches and, and GMs, they don't know about that. And it's such a frustrating time, I think, if you're a fan, because this would be the movement of hot stove. This is where you'd see money being spent. This is where you see your team getting improved, and you're not seeing that. And then, like I said before, rules last year mm-hmm. that everybody generally liked, DHs, you yeah. know, things of that nature are, are being uh, argued about or not even implemented yet. That doesn't make sense to me. One other note here. Giannis signed a five-year, $228 million max extension, super max extension with the Bucks yesterday. So Milwaukee gets to keep their superstar for at least five years. Dan, you've been to Milwaukee many, many, many times. Yeah. Obviously, we do have COVID-19 restrictions in place. But if that weren't the case, where should Giannis go with his new contract to celebrate? Well, first of all, uh, they didn't pay him enough to stay in Milwaukee. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, I love Milwaukee, especially in the summers. You got to be there in the summers. The winters yeah. are a little tough. Isn't that I, weird? I'll, I'll say the yeah. winters are pretty tough for the Cardinals. I, I never I thought love of going this. to Milwaukee. Yeah, actually, I, I never thought of this until right now. But you guys were obviously in Milwaukee for 9/11, and then got yeah. stuck in Milwaukee last year. That's right. I wasn't there. I was in a studio, but thank goodness. Yeah. But they that's right. That's a good point. I didn't thought I hadn't thought about that. Milwaukee's a tough place for the Cardinals when uh, disasters hit. Yeah. Um so if if he doesn't sign in Milwaukee, it's such a good thing for sports in my mind. I mean, he is a Laker, he's a Clipper, he's a Nick, he's a Celtic. I mean, you you just think about the major cities on a coast. Yeah. That's where you go. Yeah. And that's why if you have a cap, it's good for the sport. He stays in his in the in the town that develop him, it develops him and drafts him, and you have a fan base that connects with him. That's great. I think that's so good for the sport. I wish baseball had that. Because you keep a championship team together, potentially. Right, the Royals, a team like that. The, the Chiefs can sign Patrick Mahomes for half a billion dollars. Right. But the Royals can't keep their guys around to keep a, a championship team together. Now, you got to be creative. You gotta, do. got to be creative. Well, got to sign the right guy. Right. But... You have a chance. And he may be the right guy. That's right. That's Danny. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your texts in 65780 to the Air Comfort Service text line. You can also email us at askuncleRandy at 101ESPN.com because it is Ask Uncle Randy. Whatever you have going on, if you have a, a young, flowering relationship that you need to talk about, especially as we approach the holiday season. Can I jump in on this? Yes, too? you can. Okay, good. Yeah, because okay. you always have good answers and good. Well, no, I have a question. Life experience. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You okay. can ask Uncle Randy. I can be a part of yeah. the answers and the questions. Yes. Good. And Tanner is here. So uh, if you have any, uh, if Tanner has any questions, but get your questions in to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, <laughs> or you can use the Rhino Shield mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. We want to hear from you for Ask Uncle Randy. Next time, I've been wanting ESPN. to do this. <laughs> We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Got a question for Uncle Randy? Let him dive into his infinite well filled with wisdom to find you answers. Text 65780. It's Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. Danny Mac is here. Tanner is here. If you have questions for us, feel free to 
Send one in via the text line 65780. That is our air comfort service text line. You can also email askuncleRandy at 101ESPN.com. And, of course, we do have the mic drop feature that you can use with the 101 ESPN app, which is free. So if you have questions for us, feel free to send them in. And uh, Dan mentioned that he's got an Ask Uncle Randy. Fire away. Well, this is a sports-related question. Okay. I wanted to start with sports. Uh, Uncle Randy, should I get Rob Manfred and Tony Clark in a room? If they don't settle in a week, should they be fired? So I'm I'm delivering them room service. They have to separate beds. We can get a divider. But they're in a room, and if they don't settle for a long-term CBA, should they be fired? I think the thing to do here, rather than firing them, if they can't make it happen, let's give them a suite, by the way. Of course. At a hotel. Socially not just a distant. Room. Yeah. Socially distant. And they, there's enough money in the coffers to make sure they get a beautiful place at the Ritz. Yeah. Well, it's Major League Baseball. Of course. Heck yeah. Yes. So they get that mo Four seasons, suite. whatever. Yeah. yeah. So that's a good start, but rather than have them be fired, I would say that we put them in that room that suite, which is absolutely elegant. And they get, like you said, room service. They can have anything they want. If it doesn't happen in a week, okay, we have seven, seven days. days. If it doesn't happen, we take them downstairs to the ballroom at the Ritz or the Four Seasons or whatever, where an octagon awaits. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so you're going to go from them having... These great meals, wine, you know, five-star mm-hmm. meals, and then they're going to go into the octagon. In, into the octagon. <laughs> and Tony Clark is like 6'5 and 250, right? right. And Rob Manfred has no shot. Well, that's. I'm sorry, Rob. <laughs> Maybe you should have practiced a little bit. Maybe you should have beefed up by get, before you got into this. You're putting the pressure on him. Yeah, get a so, deal done. And here's the thing. You, you can leave the room and not be fired. But only one guy leaves the octagon. (laughs) That's how we settle this, baby. Uncle Randy has spoken. I like it. (laughs) All right. Tanner, what do you got? From the 636, Dear Uncle Randy, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? There is absolutely no question that Die Hard not only is a Christmas movie, but it's the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Every year, it's the first Christmas movie that I watch. What? I have, oh yeah, I have a Die Hard ornament on my Christmas tree. The first song you hear, as a matter of fact, every song that you hear during Die Hard is a Christmas song. It happens during Christmas. He's going home, John McClane is, at Christmas time to reconnect with his family, Holly McLean, who had taken Jane her, changed name, her name, Holly Gennaro, and his kids. And then you had, had that stupid Dick Thornburg that had, goes to their house and tries to interview the kids. There's nothing about the movie that isn't about Christmas, as a matter of fact, except the people that die. Only, you know, and the explosions. This is really interesting. And the guy that's yeah. doing drugs off the desk. Other yeah. than that, it's really oh, you, wholesome. Come on, that happens at Christmas. You think that at Christmas time people don't do drugs off desks? It, it happens. People die in helicopter accidents during the holidays. But so here's you the thing: got to rise out of Tanner on that one. Oh, it's a, it's one hundred percent a great Christmas movie. It is actually much more a Christmas movie than It's a Wonderful Life. Well, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Stewart wasn't doing drugs off the desk. He was trying to commit suicide. No, he, but, you knew, but, but you knew he wasn't, and that was the whole point. He was he was finding himself. He was coming out of it, and you all didn't of a sudden, know that until the end, at the beginning of the movie, he's in the water. 
who's reconnecting with himself, with himself and his children and his family because it is a wonderful life. But no Christmas songs. Very little of it there were, happens. There were angels in Christmas. that thing. Angels. Angels can show up on the Fourth of July, Dan. Well, that's true. Uh, uh, you, to, you're he, turning he did, me around on this he, now. He did not have to earn his wings at Christmas time. Well, I'm going to tell you this: it is not a Christmas movie. Period. It is an action film. It is an action film. If you would have seen that, I don't know when it came it out. Starts, did it come out in Christmas time? I don't know. No, it actually came out during the summer. That doesn't that's make right. any difference. That's why it's not a Christmas movie. Now, if it came out on maybe December 15th, I would have a maybe different tune about this. I but, believe uh, It's a Wonderful Life came out in September or something. Oh, no, it didn't. But that's more, you know, that was more shifting towards the holiday season. I, I think if you're willing to say that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, there is no such thing as a Christmas movie. Except for, for example, the Santa Claus. Christmas Vacation. That happened during Christmas. It's a hell of a movie. How, how much of Home Alone has to do with Christmas? It's not a Christmas movie. See, and I think Home Alone is a Christmas classic. No, it's not. Wait, you don't think Home Alone is not a Christmas movie? That's correct. Oh, well. There you go. All right. Next one. From the 573, Dear Uncle Randy, how long do I have to be married to buy kitchen appliances and home accessories instead of jewelry and perfume for my wife? That's a hell of a question. That is. And I think it really comes down to her desires. I can tell you this. No, it comes down to your desires, well, Randy. <laughs> now you're, it kind of does. But uh, I'll, I'll take you behind the curtain here, Daniel. Uh, because you just picked up on what I was putting down, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I totally did. Okay. Uh, my bride is not a huge jewelry person. Okay. Rather than an engagement ring, she got, at her request, a microwave oven. Is that right? This is true. Yeah. So she does she wear a ring? She does. Okay. But not a big ostentatious ring. And she so didn't wait, want wait, a wait, Hold on, hold on. Uncle Randy, let me ask you a question here. Yes. When you proposed... Did you get on one knee and hand her a microwave? There was no proposal. There never was. No, what happened was we were driving home one night, and uh, we decided, yeah, what date do you think we should get married? It was kind of one of those things. It was just kind of a given. Really? Yeah. Crazy. So I I never really proposed. What's the best uh, gift you've gotten her? Oh, I'm, so, and you've benefited from the microwave oven, no question. Oh, there's no doubt. And we're on our third or fourth microwave oven since then. Uh, she has plenty of jewelry, necklaces, and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, that's a good question. But uh, to your question, if she is a jewelry person, yeah, you don't give her the household appliances until she asks for them. Otherwise, those are just part of your daily life. Uh, it, but if she's a jewelry person and likes jewelry, every anniversary, every birthday, yeah. every Christmas, if you want your desires fulfilled, you get her jewelry. Well, I think that's a good point. I would say a five-year cutoff. I think once you're five years in, because at that point, you're probably, you know, a kid maybe be there at that mm-hmm. point. So... You know, you might get a piece of jewelry for a kid for, you know, for having the kid. You Mm -hmm. say, oh, honey, here's for the kid. You know, and and you're right. You have other other things that you can go with. You got Valentine's Day. Yep. That could be a jewelry thing. A happy birthday could be a jewelry thing. Maybe a surprise could be a jewelry thing. Right. So Christmas, hey, honey, here's a washer and dryer. I may benefit from that, too. But here's the thing. Washer and dryer you don't get until the old one goes out. 
And well, that's when, true. And when you're five years in, maybe it does go out. Same with a dishwasher and things like that. Now, upgrade at microwave, double oven. Okay, the, now, now we're, we're talking. Now, now we're talking. Yeah. But to your question, it really is an individual question. It's a question that, unfortunately, Uncle Randy has to say is a product of individual tastes of your significant other. But let me point this out. You can never go wrong with jewelry. You can go wrong with appliances. I will say this. If you show up and it's the green egg, then we know oh. that it might be a little self-serving. Oh, Could yeah. be a little self-serving. <laughs> yeah, but Sweetheart, still. I got you the green egg. I'm going to go throw some ribs on it. <laughs> so I, I was telling a group of people from here, we had a sales meeting last week, and I said the best thing I've ever gotten was my Traeger. Yeah. Because... I make so much on that Traeger. It has really changed my family's life. The Traegers and the Green Egg, another great call. Yeah. And it's all yeah. about you. At the end of the day, yeah, that's true. That's the point. Yep. All right, Tanner, any more? Uh, yes. From the 573, uh, dear Uncle Randy, I plan on proposing my girlfriend later this month, but mm. with the things going the way they are and COVID-19 spiking, should I make the proposal proposal with just me, even though I would like her family to be around for it, or should I wait until 2021 when things start to settle down? This is a great question. And I would say that if you... I would say whether it's Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve, you do it alone. Because if you do it with her family around... And it may be assumed, like with us, that you're, you're going to get married, but you don't want to put that pressure on her. She might want to say no. You never know. Really, you're going to get rejected. And you don't want to put that pressure on her to reject you before her or your family, right? So I would suggest doing it with just you two together. And then you can tell the family. But I, I would, if you're going to get down on one knee... Uh, unless you're 100% sure that she's going to say yes and she's going to be on board and she wants her family to be there if she's close with her family. Unless that's the case, I would... And hey, you can use COVID-19 as the excuse. Be, do it alone. Did you ask uh, Joan's father for permission? Her father passed away when she was three. Okay, so, did you ask uh, another, like her mom? No. Was her mom? Okay, so you no. just went... Okay. Just did it, yeah. I asked uh, my father-in-law for permission, so... I got that out of the way, and so I'm not sure if this texter has a you know mother-in-law or father-in-law potential mother-in-law father you know ask them for permission first, and once you have that, then you know you got the green light, and then at that point I think you do it uh, individually so that if you get slapped yeah. slapped down the embarrassment's over and you move on. That's it's right. been a you know terrible 2020. Just add it to the list and uh, you know get your dating app out and move on. Good point. Glad you made that point. Were you scared when you asked him? No. No, Do you he knew? Yeah, he was all about it. Okay. He's like, take me off her, uh, off her, <laughs> off my hands. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, get, get her off the payroll. Yeah. All right. No, he he loves her. Yeah. She's the best. It's been wedded bliss and just so much fun. It's great. <laughs> no, hey, she's awesome. Big boy. Yes, sir. <laughs> Who's it been tougher on, you or her? Oh, boys. <laughs> Bernie, uh, Randy, uh, it's been, uh, let's just say it's been a little tough uh, on her. It's, um, let's just say I haven't been uh, real easy to deal with uh, over the last uh, few years. I, I um, had a few bumps in the road there, uh, Randy, yeah. along the way. So, no, she's been a rock. She's easy. Yeah, I she's have great. not been real easy. She's great. Yeah, sorry.
you know, hey, it happens. You know what, though? It's all good now. You know, it, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's hey, been great. Thanks for asking Uncle Randy. And we're going to have one more of these before the holidays. So can I ask I, you a question? Yeah, we can have a holiday version next week. Yes. Does Tanner ask you uh, for advice? Not uh, yet. I, I don't think that he's as comfortable with asking me for advice yet, but... As we, uh, as our relationship evolves, we, he is going to become more comfortable. We, we have uh, uh, Uncle Randy and cousin Danny Mac here. That's what the new segment is. <laughs> Good. I like that. Uh, propose a loan and workout timing so that you can share later. Okay. Um, oh, he's, he, the texter said her parents have already giving, uh, given me their blessing. Okay. That's so then good. You just get the one-on-one then. Yeah. yeah. And then if you get slapped down, it's, you know. And then she'll... FaceTime or whatever. Yeah. I mean, right when she has gets, puts that ring on, she's going to FaceTime mom. And so the right. family will be involved. Look at what I got. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, okay. So you've you've done it right from the the 573. Congratulations. Yeah. He got me a microwave like Uncle Randy. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the other thing. Your timing is good. Don't wait till next year because your timing is good and you'll be able to find a place to have the wedding and have the reception. Yeah. And you're probably looking a year and a half, right? Summer of 2022. I would so, say yeah, make, make that call over to uh, Whitmore Country Club or wherever else you're going to have your your uh, reception. And, and Randy will be probably playing 18. He can stop, make a speech. Oh, I'd be happy to. Yeah, yeah. we can do a selfie. No question. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody. Randy here. Uncle Randy, I'd like to uh, give some marital advice, if I may, if I can chime in here, please. Yeah, yeah I think you should do it. I, You'd got... be happy to do it, wouldn't you? Yeah. Maybe I, you could you could be the minister. We'll get you uh, oh, we'll yeah. get you down to the the justice of the just, peace. All we have to do is just go online, and I think I can be ordained. Did I? Can I go on a short little tangent? Yes, here? you can. Um, it, <laughs> did you ever watch Springer? Yeah. Okay. So our uh, we had a booth assistant in Chicago, and the guy that uh, was our booth assistant, nicest guy ever. You know th- they would get married on Springer. Hmm. He was the judge. Really? The guy that came out and would marry you? That's awesome. He was the booth assistant for Springer. He must have some stories. Oh, unbelievable. And then he went on Steve Wilco's show and worked on that for a while. But yeah, when we're in Chicago, he's our booth assistant. So I know the judge. Awesome. And Dan, I think you can chime in here. And and we're going long, so we'll only do 60 seconds. But we have, uh, uh, here's advice they don't tell you. That Uncle Randy can provide you sure. before you walk down that aisle. Once you get married, there are very few things that are worth <laughs> fighting over. I, I and I always give the furniture example that when you you're just young, say sure. That's what you, yes, yes. Just, because in two weeks, guys, we, furniture is just part of the scenery, and we don't care. You when you're you shopping for it, you, you say right. Yeah, you just sit and watch the games anyway. No, exactly. So. You fight over televisions, and, and that's not a big fight. But sh- with all due respect, you're both going to be using the kitchen a lot, but she cares what it looks like more than you do. Bingo. Right? Bed is important because it's got to be comfortable, but you're both going to agree on a bed. But there are so few things worth fighting about. In a house. Yeah. And so at the end of the day... Pick your fights. Make it about the TV if if a car is important to you. But there, there's so little, and you can you can fight for the marriage. But there's so little that's really worth having big blowout fights over. Period. 
right? I totally agree. I just go, uh-huh. And we, Sounds good. Great. I, I think all of us had the big blow-off fights when we were younger. And there are things that you, you do, obviously, lifestyle things that you fight about. But the, those things like things inside the house, the, anything that's inanimate, let's put it that way. Anything yes. inanimate is not totally. worth having a fight about. And that means furniture, rugs, paint, wallpaper, flooring. Yeah. All of it. Right. Yeah. Looks great. Oh, absolutely. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I want your opinion. I think it looks great. Well, yep. you're not really giving me your opinion. I really want it. Well, I think it, you've really done a nice job with this. Wonderful look. We're on the same page here. And so young people, that's what we're we're telling you, Uncle Randy and, and Cousin Dan. Although the 314, good point here, the basement, claim the basement. Oh, valid well, point. Th- that, valid point there. I, I think the, the basement, the, the TV and the basement, the basement are one and the same. But again, she will give you the basement. And she, most times... What, what I, I would hope 90% of the time. My basement, my theater room, has is a blues room. It's dedicated to the blues. The room next to it, the kids' playroom, is a cardinal room. It's dedicated to the cardinals. Each room has a big screen TV yeah. and has nice furniture. And yes, the basement is key. But she is willing to give up the basement. Yes. It's a give and take on yeah. that. Because the basement more than likely won't be seen by the general public. And if it is, it's by your degenerate friends. Yeah. And she will know, because this will be part of an unspoken negotiation, you're going to walk in the house after work someday, and your hand is going to go towards the remote control while she's watching the Hallmark Channel or Bravo or something, and your hand's going to get within about a foot of that remote control, and she's going to say, you have a TV in the basement. That's right. And you just earned, because unknowingly... Because of that hand going towards the remote, you just earn at least an hour or two of solitude, which is awesome. Yeah. You you actually, it's a bait and switch. It's perfect. <laughs> it really it's is. It's the greatest. Coming up, Beautiful. the Cardinals have really good pitching, but could it regress in 2021? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals obviously are built around their pitching, but at Viva Alberto's, J.P. Hill writes that steamer depth charts gives the Cardinals staff just an 11.2 F war projected in 2021. That ranks 21st in the game. The Cardinals are a key injury, a 2.9 F war, away from matching the Giants with the worst pitching projections in the game. They would need two more Jack Flaherty's on the squad to match the highest projection, the 18.5 F war from the Mets, who have had their own injury problems themselves. Dan, I always look with my eyes and see the Cardinals' depth and see the Cardinals' depth of quality, and I think it's reasonable to think that the Cardinal pitching is not only going to be good, but I think it's going to be very good rather than among the worst in baseball. And the headline at Viva Alberto's is the Cardinals pitching among the worst in baseball. I don't agree with that at all. I uh, I think Michaelis is a key, though, coming back. I mean, that's got to be a key for the Cardinals to have him healthy. And let's say you play 162, you get him to 25, 30, if not more starts. If you get him back in the middle of your rotation, if not towards the top of the rotation and back to form, 
that's big. The other thing, at some point, if you get contributions, let's say from Thompson and Libertor in 2021, that helps too. So is that taking into account those contributions that could be made by those two guys? I'm not sure. I didn't read the article. But if you have those guys help you, that gives you the depth that you're looking for. So that's something to think about as you look ahead to 2021, in my opinion. And that's something that you have to think about uh, looking forward to this upcoming season. The health of Michaelis, though, is big, really big, looking forward to this season. Michaelis and Hicks, two big sure. losses for the Cardinals last year. But what about 2021, Pobo John Mozeliak? I do. Um, recently had an update on both of them. Uh, Miles was actually uh, in St. Louis for most of the month of November, so I, I, I ran across him a few times. But, you know, both guys feel like they're in a really good spot. Um, their, their rehabs have gone great, and... So as of right now, I, th- I think uh, they will enter camp and have a normal spring training. And one thing, Dan, I, I think we have to look at, and I-, I can see why you think if the Cardinals don't bring back Wainwright and they don't have Hudson this year, that they might be in really bad shape. But I do think you have to look at a bigger picture here in terms of if you do have Michaelis back, you've got KK, you've got Jack Flaherty, you're going to have Austin Gombrey, you're going to have a battle between Martinez and Reyes. Uh, you've got other guys that the Cardinals are preparing to be starters. Ryan Helsley, uh, maybe John Gant. Gant, Henesis Cabrera. Yep. I think the Cardinals' depth is right there with anybody's in baseball. Now, if they stay healthy and their frontline guys are put head-to-head against the Mets' frontline guys, are the Cardinals going to be as good? No, but why would we expect the Mets to be healthy? Yeah, <laughs> and another thing, too, Daniel Ponce de Leon. Yeah, that's right. another There's one. another one. That's, that gets you up to 10, and that's before Libertor and Thompson. Zach Thompson. So and the, and the other thing, too, Randy, in baseball today, just guys aren't going deep. And no. so if you don't have that kind of depth of potential swing guys, which they're they're going to have going into camp, and they're going to tell these guys all to stretch out as starters, you're not going to be prepared for the long haul of the season. And we saw in postseason play, majority of these teams had their starters going, you know, two, two and a half times through a rotation, and then you had your middle relievers bridging the gap to the back end of games. And so that's why I do think the Cardinals in a down division, and that's what it is right now, unless somebody goes out and makes some big changes to their roster, they're going to have a chance to, to do some damage inside the Central. There really is an X factor for the Cardinals, and that's Carlos Martinez. Look, he has to come in and earn a spot. We, we have a very competitive, potentially our rotation being very competitive, given all the different arms that would like to start. So, you know, right now we've guaranteed nothing, and uh, hopefully he's taking advantage of his offseason avoiding videos and um you know uh when he when it comes time to get to jupiter he's ready to compete well a let's avoid the videos avoid video <laughs> yep yep that's but a good idea b i don't think any of us really know carlos martinez well i don't know that he is capable of being motivated by the knowledge that he has to battle first but i just don't know i think he's motivated in the final year of his deal though i mean that's got to be front and center for him having an understanding that look this is your career and, yeah, you've made a lot of money, but, you know, at this point in your career, in my opinion, Randy, his velocity's got to get back up. Did mm-hmm. you look at his velocity at the end of the season? Now, whether that was because of COVID-19 or because he was dealing with some type of physical issue, as a starter, his velocity was down. As a reliever, to me, his velocity is up. Now, the interesting part about that, historically in his career, his ERA is about the same, starter, mm-hmm. reliever. I just like him in the back end of games. 
I think his stuff plays, though. He's so good as a starter. We just haven't seen him be elite in that role. And with Hicks, you know, you're going to really treat him with kid gloves coming back. I, I think maybe Martinez best is best suited potentially being in the back end of games. Especially with where baseball is right now, as you mentioned. It's a bullpen sport right now. And if you can have Martinez and Gant and Hicks and Helsley at the back end, in addition to your lefties with Miller, Miller. hopefully Cabrera uh, and Ty- Tyler Webb, I think you've got a really interesting bullpen if your starters only give you five. And that may be the case. I, I Carlos is just such an enigma. I mean, man, oh, man, you, you watch him sometimes, and I've, I've seen him forever. His stuff is so good that you would say yeah. typically you'd look at him and go, that's got to be a starter. Has right, to be. right. I mean, look at his stuff. He's mid-90s. He's got great movement. He's got a good slider. He's got this, that, and the other. He's got to be a starter. But yet, it just has never been put together full for an extended period of time, a three-year period. You just haven't had it. And sometimes I think the focus can can get away from Mm -hmm. him in games and where if if he's got a focus for three outs or six outs day after day, three out of four, say four out of seven, it better serves him and maybe the team. And that's and if you say to him, hey, you're best suited for the back end of games, maybe that gets his attention and, and it reestablishes his career and, and moving forward for him personally, too. That's Dan. I'm Randy. And a thought-provoking piece at VivaAlbertos.com. Check it out. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780 for Take It or Leave It. All right, Dan. This is, uh, I hope, going to be an easy one. But take it or leave it, Major League Baseball spring training starts by February 20th. Uh, I think I'm going to have to leave it. I hate saying that. Um, Just reading the tea leaves of what the news was yesterday, I think it gets pushed back. Maybe they could shorten spring training. The problem is, you know, when you say you shorten, let's say the NHL. Like we were talking about yesterday, you can say you can shorten training camp because guys come in in shape. And I'm not saying that baseball players don't come in shape. They do. Spring training, though, is built on pitchers building up, and you can't speed that up. you you got to throw and then take the allotted time right. off. You just can't speed it up. Um, wouldn't surprise me if the season is pushed back a little bit. But I'm going to say this, though, take it or leave it, uh, there'll be 162 games. I'm going to leave that. Really? I, be- I believe that they'll delay and it'll be close, 154, 140. I don't think they'll do 140 because I th- I'm going to go along with your idea of the seven-inning doubleheaders. I think they'll. there might be a doubleheader a week to get you from 140 dates to 154 games. I think, generally speaking, fans enjoyed the the seven inning yeah. doubleheaders. Not everybody, but I think fans enjoyed the fact that there was something on the line from the first pitch. I also think fans enjoyed the fact that it wasn't a three and a half hour game. Definitely, yeah. You know, in the fourth yeah. inning, you you were there was some drama to the game. The fifth inning, there was drama. Like you knew the seventh inning was coming up. The game was on the line. It might have been tight. It was kind of fun to watch. Right. I do wonder though if they cut back 
because you have fans in the stands, do they make them day-nighters? If you have 14 yeah. doubleheaders, are they day-nighters or I, are they were like they were last year? I think day-nighters because you got to get the gates. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm with you. You know, you clean it up, get them out, get them back in, try to get the gates back in. Make yeah. it a long day down at the ballpark. Maybe people go to Ballpark Village, yeah, hang you out. You know, you start making some of your revenue back that way. Yeah. I, I think you go day-nighters. Tanner, what do you have for us, sir? Well, we saw the Greek freak sign his massive extension yesterday. Take it or leave it. He wins two or more titles in Milwaukee. Leave it. Might win one, but I don't think he's going to be able to win two because I don't think they will be able to pay the luxury tax to keep the team together. I'm going to leave it. Small market. I'm going to, because of the money they've dedicated to him, I understand it's a system where you can get competitive with that. I just think when you're dealing with LeBron and the Lakers and the fact that they're now building a dynasty there, it's going to be very, very tough for them to do that. And as much as we love the fact that he stayed there, as we learned with LeBron in Cleveland, players want to go to destinations. Yep. They don't want to go to Cleveland or Milwaukee. They want to go to L.A. or Miami. Yeah. It's L.A., Miami, maybe, maybe Boston. I mean, Mm -hmm. or or maybe even Brooklyn. You know, you look how Brooklyn's got that thing going. Although that could be a really tough dynamic with the two that they have there with Kyrie and Durant. That's that's kind of tough. I kind of get the sense, Dan, that Players want to go to the warm weather during the winter. Oh, now. I, I get that sense I, uh, very much yeah, so. And I think Phoenix, now with Chris Paul, if they're willing to spend, now that they seem to have stabilized, that might be a destination spot too. I thought they would be a destination spot for years to come. When Charles was there mm-hmm. and they had Marley and some of the others, you thought that would be yeah. a great place Just to go, but it hasn't been that way. ownership. Yeah. Horrible. Awful. From the three or from the six one eight, excuse me, take it or leave it. Players would take a world championship over fans in the seats, while ownership would take fans in the seats over a world championship. Players, fans in the seats equal dollars for them, and playing games equal dollars for them. Ownership. I think players want to win championships. I, I they really miss the fans. Though, I can tell you that. I think there are ownerships that aren't as concerned about the championship, but I think there are a handful of really competitive ownerships in baseball. The Dodgers, Yankees uh, are clearly, when you look at the number 22 market, and historically, I'm not saying right now this minute, but historically the way the Cardinals have spent relative to market size and overall revenue generated, there's no question that Mr. DeWitt wants to win a championship. But... uh, if we took a poll, percentage-wise, there are more players, I would think, that want to win championships than owners that, that say number one goal. Oh, I would agree. Because I think one of the things that we see is that majority of owners now are, are running it like a business, and it's not a family-run type ownership group. This mm-hmm. is a family-run ownership group here. It's a different situation in St. Louis, where the majority of these, it's part of a portfolio of businesses that are... Uh, part of the portfolio and it's run like okay it's a spreadsheet here we have this and you know are we concerned about dollars and cents are we concerned about winning championships I agree with you about the DeWitt ownership Um, and you can debate I don't think you can debate whether or not they spend the money they spend the money you can debate how they spend the money hasn't been great but recently it's been yeah. tough on some of the extensions or you know the follower signing the things of that nature but they spend the money yeah Thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. Coming up, the Blues are going to start training camp here in less than a month. Is their championship window closing faster than we think it is? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Dan McLaughlin in for Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. And Dan, a couple of years ago when the Blues acquired Tyler Bozak and David Perron, reacquired David Perron and made the trade for Ryan O'Reilly, Doug Armstrong said, we are opening up a five-year championship window here. After this season... Jaden Schwartz and Jordan Bennington are unrestricted free agents, although Alexander Steen will come off the books after this year, and the Blues will have presumably some young players on the way. But the question is, when you look at those two and when you look at the fact that Robert Thomas is going to be a restricted free agent and you still have to sign a guy like Vince Dunn, do you still see three years in that window? couple questions that I would have with this. Um, There's a few questions. I would have Bennington bouncing back after last year. Now, Billy Huso could be very good. I mean, we don't, he could be the next Bennington. I mean, he's a highly thought of prospect um, in goal, but I would say that Bennington's bounce back after the bubble, which I throw out anyway, I, you know, him bouncing back and being the goalie that he has been. And that's number one. In the three-year window, will Tarasenko be healthy ever again with his shoulder? Can you get him back to 100%? That's really... A, I think that's the biggest X factor. Yeah, you know, that's that's very important. And does Robert Thomas continue to progress to be this star that we all think that he is ascending to? Those would be my questions yeah. for the Blues in a three-year window. You're asking about three right. years. Those are the three things I would look at. When you look at your top four defensemen, and it's going to be Krug, Pareko, uh, and then on the right side, you'll have Justin Falk. And on the left side, you'll have uh, uh, the Marco Scandella. And, and then you've got young guys on the way. You've got Mikola. Uh, and, and you've got uh, Scott Perunovich <laughs> on the way. You've got Renke on the way. I think defensively, you'll be fine. I have faith that Jordan Biddington is going to be fine. And he is 27 years old. O'Reilly is 29, 29, 30, 31 for O'Reilly, 29, 30, 31 for Braden Shen. I believe they'll keep Jaden Schwartz, and I think he wants to be here. I think they need to have Jaden Schwartz, so I don't have much concern about him coming back at the age of 28. So you've got the 28, 29, 30 years out of uh, Jaden Schwartz. I think the three-year window for the Blues to win a championship is wide open. I do, too. Um I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing when you have turnover in your roster and you had just had a major one, obviously, with the captain going to, to Vegas. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you have a major shakeup, and that is a major one, it's not necessarily the worst thing. Now, I would have loved to seen the captain come back. Me too. But I'm looking at it at a, a different window now and saying, okay, crew comes in, you get an offensive-type defenseman, you're missing now one of the great pieces that you had in that championship run, so it's a different look at the team. It is. It's different. I, I wanted to see him back. I wanted to see the captain come back. He's not. But you got three years. You're getting a hell of a player that can move the puck. He's an offensive-type defenseman. It's a, it's a different look at your team. You've changed the complexion of your team. You should be a great special teams team now. You should. Um, and I'm thinking that Pareko kind of 
gets out of his shadow a little bit, becomes a better defensive player, moves into more of a leadership role. I I still think the window is there to to win and not only win, but I mean, win the cup, not not just get in, but I mean, do damage and, and advance and win the cup. By the way, I, I neglected to mention that Tyler Bozak comes off the books $5 million after this year, too. So that so opens say, up some the, Schwartz money. Yeah, you could probably resign Schwartz and, and also maybe add, you know, in that well, three-year window, too. And they do need some of their young players, specifically Thomas. He needs to rise to a star yeah. level, and everybody in the league expects him to. But they need Kairou to be what they expect him to mm-hmm. be. And the, they need to have guys depth guys like Sammy Blay, like Sanford, continue to be third line depth quality guys. Maybe you can move Zach Sanford to center next year because well, well it's going to be hard because where's Thomas going to be? Uh, and sh- does Shen wind up on the wing? But guys like Sanford and Blay and Barbashev and Kyle Clifford and Oscar Sundquist, they need to stay healthy and be what they've been. Mackenzie McKecker needs to ascend a little bit. But the reason that the Blues are great is that because they come at you in waves and th- those third and fourth lines are so important. And those those players that played such a key role in the Blues winning the Stanley Cup, they need to continue to be bangers and be satisfied with being third and fourth line guys. What do you think about Hoffman? Where, where are you at with him in terms of where he might be this year or certainly next year? My understanding that the Blues have spoken to him and I'm not a huge fan when I look at the we, we talked yesterday to uh, our, our friend Ryan Miller about analytics. I'm not thrilled with Mike Hoffman's analytics look, as was pointed out to me. You also have to remember that he's played on really bad teams. Yeah, uh, I've liked the the guy when I've watched him, but I just don't think that he fits what Craig Berube is. Yeah, And he's been a really good offensive player, but I just don't think that he plays both ends of the ice. Now, if you you want a sniper, if you want a guy that is going to help you out on the power play, Mike Hoffman, big time. I'm not sure where I stand with Tarasenko. I I don't know how he bounces back from now multiple surgeries Mm -hmm. with a shoulder. What happens with that first hit? How tentative is he going to be? Can he be the player that he has been? Is it beneficial to just have him sit out a a truncated season, bring him back next year? I wonder if that's even on the table. Well, Because you're going to be playing so many games in short times in these weeks. Right. Is it better to to make sure he is 100%? Don't rush him back. I I just wonder that. I'm just thinking out loud. I wonder if you're better off doing that or waiting. Don't rush him back in the middle of January. Take January, February, bring him back in March. Bring him back in April. I don't care, but he's got to be a hundred percent. No questions asked. One thing, no that doubt. Orthopedic medicine has had trouble figuring out is the shoulder, shoulder isn't yep. it? Yep. And we you know can go all the way back to Wayne Babich with the Blues, and we we can look at the Cardinals with Mark Mulder. Uh, th- there have been so many shoulder injuries that are just mysteries. You you can't fix them, and. It, it's a necessity for him. I wonder if he'll be able to make the move that he made against L.A. with the initial injury last year. I wonder if he'll be able to make that move anymore. And hopefully the Blues have been able to fix it. But I'm like you. I think that he is a major question mark. And he's also $7.5 million a year that if he's hurt, you can't get rid of. So what do you do from a from a hockey take away the, the financial aspect? What do you do? If he's not on the ice, where do you go? How do you replace that? Where's the goal scoring come from? 
That's why you need Robert Thomas to yeah. step up. Because if you have a top line of O'Reilly, Perron, Sanford, and then your second line can be Thomas, Shen, Schwartz, that's, 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 if Thomas winds up being what he's supposed to be, you're okay in your top six. And that's why crew getting here and your special teams has got to be good. Yeah, right. It's got to be good. That's where you have to make hay. But end of the day, I, I still have confidence because of Jordan Biddington primarily yeah, yeah. that this window is still open. Agreed. Coming up, what bowl is Mizzou going to? We're going to ask Mark Schlabaugh of ESPN.com next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman taking uh, up until Christmas off. Dan McLaughlin, the voice of the Cardinals, with Randy Carricker on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. And Mark Schlebaugh, who covers college football for ESPN.com, kind enough to take a few minutes with us. Mark, how are you doing this morning? Guys, good. How are you? Everything's great. Hey, we want to start with this because everybody, as you might imagine, in Missouri is fired up about Eli Drinkwitz and where the Mizzou football program is headed. Where do you think they're headed in terms of a bowl game? Um, I believe right now I've got them in the Outback Bowl playing um, Iowa. Um, And that's assuming that Georgia, Texas A&M, Florida, and Alabama all get into the college football playoff and New Year's Six Bowls, which I think is a pretty good possibility. I think the only way that could be affected is if if, if uh, Alabama steamrolls Florida and Florida drops out of the top 12. But as we saw in the rankings last night, the, the committee, selection committee, still got a lot of respect for Florida, only dropping them one spot after that loss to LSU. But I think I think Auburn would probably end up in the, uh, the Citrus Bowl playing Northwestern and then that would uh, most. I think. I think Missouri is probably the most attractive um, candidate after that, just because of what they've done under Eli in that, in that first season. And I think number one, that's a great bull to be in. Number two, I, I never thought of this, but I wonder if when players go there, Outback has to feed those guys, right? Oh yeah, it was one of the. It was the greatest post <laughs> New Year's Eve uh, hangover bowl because it kicked off about noon, but. At halftime, they'd bring you one of those blooming onions and, and everything's okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Mark, I'm curious your thoughts with Florida only dropping one spot and a loss at home against LSU. If Notre Dame would lose to Clemson, how could they drop out of the top four potentially this weekend? Could that possibly happen? I mean, or did they stay in the top four? No, I think, I think Alabama and Notre Dame are secure regardless of, of what happens this weekend, um, you know, you've already got a, a win over then number one Clemson. The North Carolina win um, looks better and better after after North Carolina beat up Miami this weekend. But I, I think Notre Dame's safe for sure, and I think um, Alabama's safe. I think the the big question would be is if Clemson loses again to Notre Dame, what happens to that fourth spot? You know, do they? I, I don't think they could still go with Clemson. Maybe they could and just and put it on Trevor Lawrence not being there in the regular season when they lost in overtime, um, you know, or did they go with Texas A&M or, or somebody else? Mark Slabaugh of ESPN.com with us on 101 ESPN. You have a great piece up about the search for Auburn. I, I want to ask you, though, because you know that program and you obviously know the conference intimately. Is Auburn realistic about who they are? Um, 
No, <laughs> they're out. They're Alabama step brother, I guess is the the redheaded stepchild is, is the the best way to put it. I mean, it, it's it's a different place. Uh, always has been. They, you know, it's always compared itself to what's happening in Tuscaloosa, which I think is unfair to to whoever the coach there is. I mean, it, it's a great job. They've got mm-hmm. great facilities. They've got great financial resources. Uh, they're about an hour and a half from Atlanta. Um, so you have a, a very fertile recruiting base, and they've got great tradition, and they've won there under under uh, Gus Early, and, and Gene Chizik took them to a national championship, and Pat Dye did good things there. But it's uh, they've always had that redheaded stepchild mentality that, that they weren't you know they weren't as good as Alabama, and we're going to do whatever it takes to to get as good as Alabama, and that includes firing a pretty successful football coach paying $21 million to go away. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So who would uh, be the leading candidates right now for that job? Um, that's the, 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 uh, the strangest thing about Auburn is there are probably about 19 factions who have some say in it, and they've all want somebody different. Um, Alan Green, God bless him, he's probably the most powerless athletics director in the country because the boosters and others are the one running the show. But, um, you know, I, I think Hugh Freeze is in the mix. I think it would be a difficult hire because they've got some NCAA problems with basketball right now. They've got a, a level one case that they're waiting uh, to be adjudicated. I think it'd be pretty risky to bring in Hugh Freeze given his NCAA track record and the way his uh, tenure ended at Ole Miss. Uh, Mario Cristobal. Cristobal says he's out of it. I, I think it's it's too early to say he's out of it. He does have an $8 million buyout at Oregon that I think drops to five after January 15th. Um, you know, still a pretty sizable payment, especially since it's going to cost you about $30 million to get rid of Miles on and his staff. Um, Steve Sarkeesian, the Alabama offensive coordinator, I think would be in the mix. Um who am I missing? You, you had Lane, Lane Kiffin. Would Lane Kiffin go one and done with another one and done with another SEC school? He's done one and done before, going from Tennessee to USC. I mm-hmm. think it's a little bit different, but I, I do think Auburn is a better job than Ole Miss, just because of, of resources and the the other things I've talked about earlier. But um, I think I think Lane would listen for sure, and I think I think personally Lane would be a really good fit there because. He's not afraid of Nick Saban. He loves needling Saban on a daily basis. Uh, he runs an offense that Saban has had problems with, and we saw that earlier this season when they put up 600-something yards in a, in a 63-48 loss. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that if Auburn wanted Lane Kiffin, he would take it. Um, you know, he'd, he'd be in the same boat then with Ole Miss fans as, as Tommy Tuberville, who said – They'd have to drag him out of there in a pine box before he takes the Auburn job. (laughs) I'm curious too, Mark, um, back to Missouri just for a moment. Your perspective, a national perspective of Eli Drinkwitz and the job that that he's done at at Missouri. What's the national perspective on the job that he's done in terms of wins and losses and also in recruiting in the SEC, how he's done? It's it's early on the recruiting. The the question with Eli was it was just a short track record at App State. We really didn't know, you know, how good he was and, and how much of it was what he inherited from Scott Satter. But he did a great job at App State. And, you know, he, he's done a fantastic job at Missouri, five and four. Um, you know, hadn't beaten 
anybody a real consequence. You know, an early win over LSU, which ended up being a pretty bad LSU team. Kentucky, South Carolina, Vandy, Arkansas, Georgia kind of had their way with them. But, you know, Georgia's much better on both lines of scrimmage. And, and I think Eli knows that that's where they're going to have to get better. The defensive coordinator's done a fantastic job. Um, you know, we'll see. I, I think, you know, it's it's isolated from the rest of the league, which is, you know, creates some obstacles in terms of recruiting players from the deep south, which is what you got to have if you're going to compete in that league. But I certainly think the early results, I think he would probably be SEC coach of the year in my on my ballot at this point. Um, I think he's done a great job. I think Sam Pittman, even though they've kind of fallen off at the end, did a great job at Arkansas as well. A couple more things for Mark Schlebaugh of ESPN.com, kind enough to join us on 101 ESPN. Mark, earlier this season, Nick Saban said, good defense doesn't beat good offense anymore. Is that a, a train that is so far down the tracks that the good offense is where it's at, that it won't return? We Will we see great defense in football anymore? Yeah, I mean, it, it tends to be cyclical. Um, you know, in, when Saban was establishing his program early on and dominating everybody, he was doing it with great defenses and great defensive linemen and depth on the defensive line that, that no one else had. And, and Kirby Smart tried to duplicate that at Georgia. Um, LSU, when, when they were really good, had guys like Marcus Spears and Booger McFarlane on the defensive line. But, you know, I, I do think, you know, I don't know how long it was, what, five, six years ago, Saban was saying, is this really what we want football to be? Mm-hmm. And then now he's he's running tempo and spreading things out as much as anybody in the country. And, you know, I, I do think the, the wide-open offenses and downfield passing game, I, I think you got to have it to compete with. Well, you, know, you saw that with Georgia this year. They tried to go with a game manager at quarterback and, and didn't have much success against Florida and Alabama. Now JT Daniels is in, in there, and they've opened things up, and, and seem to be a much more competitive football team. It is pretty amazing that and Alabama might be the only school that could lose a Jalen Waddle and have a Devontae Smith and still score as many points as they've scored this year. Oh, it's, um, I mean, you just plug in Mechie and Najee Harris is so great coming out of the backfield. And, you know, Mac Jones and Kyle Trask have had fantastic seasons. I would probably put Jones ahead of Trask just because of what happened last week. But, um, I'm, I'm not sure Devontae Smith's not the best player in the country. I had him number one on my ESPN Heisman ballot this week for the first time. I mean, he is just a phenomenal, phenomenal player. In terms of how many bowls will actually get played, how many do you, do you think will get played or, or canceled as we get uh, closer towards bowl season? Yeah, my hope is we've seen the majority of them. I mean, the ones in the, on the West Coast were – we're in danger to begin with. Uh, we saw the L.A. Bowl pull the plug last week. Um, you know, the ones in the big cities, Pinstripe Bowl, Motor City Bowl, we knew those could be in jeopardy. But it looks like, for the most part, other than maybe the Rose Bowl, I think everybody else seems pretty intent on playing. And, you know, the season, the regular season has stretched so far that, you know, the bowl games are right around the corner, even the major ones, just a couple of weeks down the road. So I think it would be pretty late. To pull a plug. The question is how many of these schools that are, you know, would be invited to play are going to opt out. I think there's still a chance Virginia Tech doesn't play. So I think you're going to have six out of the 15 in the ACC uh, go to bowl games. I know Virginia's already opted out. And there's some others, Boston College, Pitt, that aren't going to play. But, you know, in the SEC, 
when LSU self-imposed a bowl ban this past week, that basically put Vanderbilt in a bowl game. I mean, Vanderbilt, wow. which is 0-9, winless for the first time in school history, could end up going to a bowl game. I think you're going to have thir- uh, 14 out of the 16 teams, 13 out of the 14 teams in the SEC going to bowl games this year. Wow. Less- if Vandy plays. Yeah. Right. Last thing, Mark, I'm going to put you in charge. You are the Final Four committee. Do you put Ohio State in that Final Four despite the fact that they've only played five games right now and will play six? Uh, if they beat Northwestern this weekend, yeah. I mean, I, I think they're one of the four best teams in the country. Um, you know, I don't think it's fair that Alabama and Notre Dame and Clemson are going to end up playing twice as many games, but that's not Ohio State's fault. And you know, Ohio State didn't look great against Indiana, uh, giving up 35 points. But I think Indiana's a really good football team. Um, you know, I think in terms of matchups, if I can get the ACC champion Clemson or Notre Dame against Ohio State in the semifinal game, and the you know Alabama and the ACC loser in the other one, you know, I, I think those are two pretty competitive games. I'm with you, Mark. Thanks so much for the time. Good to hear your voice. Have a great holiday season, and uh, hopefully, we'll be able to talk again soon. Yep. Happy holidays, you guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Mark. Mark Slaybaugh of ESPN.com on 101 ESPN. I guess Ohio State's got to get in. Can't fault them for what the conference is doing. No. They are one of the top four teams. And none of the games that were canceled that they were supposed to play were COVID problems within their program. Correct. There, there was literally nothing that they could do. And let's be honest about it. College football and the Big Ten they played, the Big Ten played so that Ohio State could be in the Final Four. So who's your Heisman? I'm think, and I have to make this decision by Monday, but I'm kind of with Mark there. I, I, I've gone towards Devontae Smith because he has taken over as the best receiver for the best receiver. Jalen Waddle was supposed to be that guy, and Mac Jones is good, but Mac Jones is not great. To do what he's doing, to dominate the way that he's dominating from his position is really difficult to do. And I don't think any of the quarterbacks, to me, rise to the level of being the best player ahead of Devontae Smith. How about the young man feeding him the ball? Uh, Mac Jones? Yes, sir. Yeah, Mac Jones has had a great year. I like Mac Jones. Yeah, I, I think he's really good, but... And you know what? You could go with Harris, too. You could go with Najee Harris, who's had... I, I agree, but I'm going <laughs> I mean, Mac Jones. You've got three guys in Alabama that we're talking about being possible I know. Heisman winners. I know. It's Phenomenal. incredible. But I, I think I right now, as I sit here, pending the championship games, I'm going to go with Devontae. And it's... You know what? If uh, Trevor Lawrence doesn't get COVID, Trevor Lawrence is probably a runaway winner. Absolutely. I went to the bowl game last year between Alabama and Michigan. I was in the, uh, mm-hmm. the stands. I went and watched and being there in person and seeing the talent between the two schools, oh, yeah. it was eye popping, eye popping, Randy, to see Alabama play in person and to see the speed of Alabama. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the game, they were, they were now with the second team guys and the second team guys were flying around the field. Some of the guys we're talking about right now, because I, I watch Alabama football a lot, right? and these kids were unbelievable. There was no yeah. difference. There was no drop-off. Well, it was incredible. Think about this. You replaced Jerry Judy and Henry Jerry Ruggs. Judy was ridiculous yeah. that game. You replaced those two with Waddle and Smith yes. this year. And Jerry That's Judy true. goes to Denver. Yeah. What would put, He was a top-20 pick in the NFL draft. Yeah. What was he, 12th or something like that? Right. Or whatever and Ruggs was. was top 10. Right. It was incredible. Yeah, I, when Patrick and I went to Mizzou, Alabama last year, maybe it was two years ago, whenever they played at Alabama, and 
first play of the game from uh, so Mizzou kicks touchback. Alabama starts at their own 25. And I said, they're going to go long to Judy here. And he's yeah. going to score a touchdown. 75-yard touchdown. Bing Boom. right off the bat. First play of the game. Unbelievable. The yeah. speed on the field of Alabama is just incredible. Crazy. Yep. Coming up on 101 ESPN. The fight. The fight. Are you ready? I'm as ready as I'm going to be, Dan. You have a new, uh, you have a new challenger Didn't today. Did I get beat yesterday? No, you got beat two days ago. You came back. Uh, oh, okay. You went four for four yesterday. Okay. And then we had a tiebreaker. <sighs> Remember, we had a $100 million contract. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And he spoiled it, and I had to come up with a new one. Tanner was really upset because there was 81 $100 million oh, contracts, and he took five hours to research it. <laughs> the fight is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It's the fight. I'm Dan McLaughlin filling in for Michelle Smallman, and we have Average Joe Listener. I don't like saying that because, Nick, you are not Average Joe Listener. You are special because you're on the fight. How's it going this morning? Oh, it's going great. How you doing? I'm doing well. Are you ready to take on Randy? He doesn't lose very often, you know. Yeah, I know. I'm already uh, I'm 0-1 against him. I took him on in the fast lane years ago. I'm looking for a little revenge, hopefully. I love it. Let's get nasty. Let's do it. Number one, who was the first running back in the NFL to rush over 2,000 yards in a season? Was it Walter Payton, Jim Brown, or O.J. Simpson? Ooh, 2,000 yards in a single season. Payton, Brown, or O.J.? Let's go with um, OJ. Okay. Question two. Who was the last player in Major League Baseball to win Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same season? Was it Derek uh, Jeter? Derek choices? Oh, yeah, <laughs> Derek Jeter, Ichiro, or Mike Trout? I'm pretty sure that was Ichiro. Okay. I'll just say this. You're off to a good start. Who was the last Cardinal right. to have 10 or more triples in a season? Brendan Ryan, Tommy Edmond, or Delino DeShields? Last Cardinal to have 10 or more triples in a season. Brendan Ryan, Tommy Edmond, or Delino DeShields? I don't feel like Brendan Ryan or Edmond have done it, so I'm just going to go with Delino DeShields. Okay. And question number four, when was the last time Illinois basketball won the Big Ten Conference Tournament? So not the regular season. This is the conference tournament. The last time Illinois basketball won the Big Ten Conference Tournament, 2002, 2005, or 2010? I'm going to go, I feel like 2005 feels right. All right. Nick, nice work. And let's uh, bring in the great Randy Carricker. He has his work cut out for him. Nick, what do you do for a living, buddy? Uh, I'm a realtor. Okay. Thanks for listening to 101 ESPN. I hope you listen all the time. And good I luck. I'm driving. Awesome. Good luck. And um, you've got a formidable challenge today, Randall. All Randall, right. say all hi right. to Nick. Hi, Nick. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Where are you driving? I, I drive a lot, but not right now. Oh, okay, good. By the way, uh, Nick had taken you on in the fast lane, and you defeated him previously, so he said he's out for revenge this morning. I, I totally get people being out for blood. Well, that leads us <laughs> into this. He got me 3-2 last time. Oh, 
Well, that leads us into this first question. Nice segue. Yes. And you didn't even know it. Uh-huh. Uh, who is the first running back in the NFL to rush over uh, 2,000 yards in a season? <laughs> Sorry, Randy. <laughs> That's my guy. Yeah. Orenthal. Yes, sir. So, okay. Uh, 200 and I think he, he got 218 yards against the Jets to go to 2003 for the season. On that final game. Yep. So you're going O.J. Simpson. I am going. Uh, uh, boy, I feel pretty sharp about this one. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll take a stab at it with uh, with O.J. Okay. Uh, who is the last player in uh, Major League Baseball to win Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same season? Rookie of the Year and MVP. I think, though Fred Lynn did it in 1975, mm-hmm. I believe Ichiro might have done it. In 2001, so I will go. I'll, I'll just in case, Dan. Yeah, I'm going to do the lifeline. Really? No, I'll go Etro. Okay. All right. Do we have lifelines? Yeah, I get one. Okay. And what do I have to do? I give just you. Give me the answers. All right. Don't worry about it. Okay. Who was the last Cardinal to have ten or more triples in a season? Brendan Ryan. And you oh, no, no, I don't need him. I don't. No. By the way, you shouldn't. Yeah. You on that I, question? I get one. I, I get to ask for one. I don't know. No. On that question, you don't need the lifeline. Oh, line. I know. I was just playing. You shouldn't need. Not on that one. Okay, so on the last others, Cardinal with 10 triples. By the way, season. on other ones, yes. On that one, you should know that. Okay, so I, I'll do the lifeline on this one, then. Okay, the last Cardinal to have 10 or more triples in a season. I'll do the lifeline. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Can I give you some hints? Yes. His son is playing Major League Baseball currently. It's not Fernando Tatis. And this gentleman is a um, uh, in coaching. And he was a part of the Cardinals in the mid-90s. <laughs> oh, so this is my lifeline. All right, I'll give you the hint. I'll give you the lifeline. Brendan Ryan, Tommy Edmond, Delano DeShields. Uh, Tommy Edmond's son is not playing yet. Correct. Not Brendan Ryan. Okay, okay Delano. All right. Delano was not the most heads-up player. I'm surprised his son became a major leaguer. When was the last time Illinois basketball won the Big Ten Conference Tournament? I now, this is not regular know. season. This is conference. Oh, the conference tournament. Okay. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with that 2005-2006 campaign. Oh, boy. We have a tie, folks. Okay. So, let's give you the answers on these. The first running back in the NFL uh, history to rush for over 2,000 yards in a season was... Orental James Simpson, OJ, 1973. Who was the last player in Major League Baseball to win Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same season? That was Ichiro. Who was the last Cardinal to have 10 or more triples in a season? That was Delano DeShields, 1997. He had 14 triples. When was the last time Illinois basketball won the Big Ten Conference Tournament? That was a good team. 2005, they beat Wisconsin uh, 54-43. Now we're off to the tiebreaker. You both are four for four. The tiebreaker, are you ready? Yes. Okay. How many different St. Louis Blues have appeared in the NHL All-Star Game? How many different St. Louis Blues have appeared in the National League Hockey All-Star Game? Blues have Okay, so I have to write mine down here. I will. Um, I'm going to go... Different blues. Okay. Different blues? Like, Tanner, Tanner correct, wrote the question. It is different blues so that like, appeared in NHL All-Star. So you're one saying, guy, Tanner, if that... If one guy... Pre- 
participated in five games, it's one, it's right? It's one, correct. Okay, okay. Oh, man. Um, okay, I think I got my answer. Go ahead. I'm going to go with 44. Holy cow. You, Randy? Yeah. 52. We have a winner and the challenger. We have a winner and new champion, Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. The answer is 44. Wow, no, Nick. No way. Nick, how did you come up with that one? You, you just, I mean, you were just taking a random number and just threw it out there? Or did you really think- a ran- yeah. I mean, there's been 50-some all-star games, so then I just figured, you know, there was a couple duplicates in there, so 44 was the number that I came up with. I figured you might be a big Chris Pronger fan or something. <laughs> I, you're just like, ah, I'm going prongs. That's well done. Well done, Nick. You'll be yeah. back tomorrow. Awesome job. You All have right. your revenge. I you... do. Now I'm going to pay for it tomorrow, I'm sure. <laughs> no, no, no. Great job. You have defeated Randy. So we'll awesome. see you tomorrow. Thanks. That's awesome. Make okay. Thank Thanks, you Nick. very much. I'm getting absolutely destroyed on the uh, text line. Uh, absolutely destroyed. Uh, people think that I help you. That oh. I, I gave too much on the Delino DeShields yeah. stuff. So I, I tomorrow I'm just well, reading stuff. If if you don't say anything, uh-huh. I know Tommy Edmonds has never had ten. Yeah. I, who is the other one? Uh, Brendan Ryan. Brendan, I know that Brendan Ryan never had ten. Okay. So uh, yes, I, I and I was well aware that Delino DeShields had had it more than ten. Uh, triples in a season. So take it easy, Dan. You're fine. Okay. Um, let's see. That's crap. Uh, Randy's getting hints. Danny Mac, why are you cheating? Uh, Dan could ruin a certain kind of dream. Uh, Danny Mac, you cheated. Uh, this is crazy. Take Dan off the radio. He is horrible. He needs muzzled because he's ruining um, this fight. Dan has ruined the integrity of the fight. I mean, I'm just getting killed. Well, killed. Settle down, people. Okay. Nick won. Okay. All right. Nick won. He won. He won with 44. He was spot on. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Coming up, does baseball need a salary cap to maintain a level of competitive balance? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Dan, Giannis Anacucupo. Did I do it? Oh, yeah, you nailed it. Anacucupo signed a five-year, $228 million extension with the Milwaukee Bucks yesterday, in part because he was able to get that Supermax extension. The NBA, like the NFL, has 100% revenue sharing, and they have a salary cap and a salary floor that allows a smaller market team, not all the time, actually not most of the time, but they allow a team like Milwaukee to re-sign their best player and keep him around. Now, is a player going to be able to draw other good players to play with him for less to Milwaukee? No. Can LeBron get that done in L.A. or Miami? Yes, he can. Can Kawhi get that done in L.A.? Yes. Can you do that in Miami? Yes. But the fact of the matter is, a franchise for their fans' benefit can keep a guy around in basketball. They can do it in hockey. Vladimir Tarasenko mm-hmm. resigns with the St. Louis Blues. He doesn't wind up with the Rangers or the Kings. Uh, you, you look at uh, the NFL. Patrick Mahomes gets 
almost a half a billion dollars from the Chiefs, one of the smaller markets. Aaron Rodgers in the smallest market, Green Bay, is able to spend virtually his entire career there. That's something that doesn't happen in baseball because of the lack of a salary cap, because of the lack of 100% revenue sharing. Giannis can stay in Milwaukee for his entire career. Prince Fielder can't. Need a luxury tax in baseball? You have it. However, it's not. It's a soft cap. Um, I would love to see a, a cap in baseball, but the distrust between the Players Association and the owners is is long and deep, and mm-hmm. that's a problem. I also think you need a floor. I yep. think you, you got to make sure the tanking somehow stops. You know, so when you had the Cubs tanking and you had the Astros tanking, and your fan base knows you have no shot of winning, as they just load up on top picks and load up on piling up the money to go out and spend on free agents. That's a problem. And from the player's perspective, I'm sure they're thinking, you know, can we trust these guys? If the, if you have a cap uh, or revenue share, like when the, the NHL decided to revenue share, they split in the good, they split in the bad. And if, if you're going to do that in baseball you got to know exactly what is baseball revenue and what isn't. And that's where the distrust hits with both sides. You know, what is baseball revenue, what's not? And if baseball revenue is what it people say it is, people that do studies like Forbes magazine and uh, ESPN has done it. And most of us at the moment have their revenues right around twelve and a half billion dollars. That would be such a huge benefit for the players if they Absolutely. could get 50% of that no with question. a floor. Yeah. That would be so much better across the board. But the way it is now, and the players don't want a salary cap or a salary floor, that's just move the middle class completely out. They're out right now. Yeah, they're they're that $3.5 million pinch hitter doesn't exist anymore. Bud Norris doesn't exist no. anymore. Right. He, he got X'd out, and he was a pretty good pitcher. And he was a guy that yep. was closing some games out. And if you looked at when he got X'd out of baseball, if you would have gone five years previous to that, he would have got a nice deal. He would have got a two-year deal from somebody and would have made some money. Luke Gregerson got a deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's another example. Those guys were X'd out of baseball. They were done. And so that's a real concern, I think, from the Players Association is that also that baseball has gone to the point of we're not paying you for what you used to do. We're paying you for yeah. now. You know, we're paying you for, for future value. And look at how free agency has gone in, in baseball, Randy. It's it's completely changed to now being able to forecast what you think you might be doing because of the sabermetric, the analytic look at players. It's totally changed yeah. to what, you know, used to be paid for what you did. You don't get paid for that anymore. Yachty's in the middle of that. Yachty right now yeah. is 38 and will not get paid for what he did. He's going to get paid for what he might do. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And I, I look at a salary floor has to happen. I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at and also if you had revenue sharing, you would have a sense that these players, if you would have gone back the last 10 years with the way that things have exploded with television money in these sports, the players would have benefited over this time period. They should have taken it, and they didn't. And that was a problem back in the mid-'90s. They didn't take it, and they would have benefited in the long run. You look now, just at at franchises, Pittsburgh sitting there in the 24 market. They used to have Garrett Cole, who's now playing for the team with the highest payroll in the number 1 market. They used to have Andrew McCutcheon. Tyone. Others. Yeah. they They just can't afford to keep. How do they keep Josh Bell and keep Brian Hayes? They don't. 
Josh Bell's going to be out the door, and he's going to go to a bigger market. Kansas City is a smaller market than St. Louis is. It's number 32. They had a world championship team that they, for the most part, developed in 2015. They can't keep that group together. And you look at where the players go. Uh, Eric Hosmer going to San Diego. Now, that's just a little bit bigger market than St. Louis is, but that's where he lands. And, right. and they, they, Moustakis leaves. They, they just can't keep, afford to keep a Lorenzo group together. Lorenzo Cain. Yeah. The smaller market teams, for the most part in baseball, can't keep their guys, whereas their counterparts, Milwaukee's counterpart in the NFL is Green Bay. They keep Aaron Rodgers forever. They can't keep their guys like Prince Fielder around. Kansas City, we mentioned. The Royals can't keep a, a championship team together. The first thing the Chiefs do in Kansas City is go out and sign their best offensive and best defensive players after That's the right. season is over because they make a lot of money and there is a cap so that the Giants can't go out and buy Patrick Mahomes. And you have to be, if you were a Kansas City, that window is so short to win that time because they didn't stagger the contracts. So they all were up at the same time. Yeah. All those guys were up. Kane, Hosmer, Mustakis, all up at the same time. You didn't have it wanted this year, won the next year, won the next year. So at least you could work on one or the other. And they lost all of them. Mm-hmm. So they didn't stagger them. You got to be so creative with that and try to make the bet on the right guy to sign him, buy out arbitration years, buy out free agency years, and hope you made the right move. I think the big problem with baseball, and I know it's unfair to pin everything on one guy, but... As long as Scott Boris has as much influence as he does with the Players Association, and as long as he's making so much money from those guys getting those outrageous contracts. Right, he made a bill, he, he negotiated a billion dollars right. worth of contracts last year. Yeah, and his income takes somewhat of a hit, not sure. a huge hit, if there is a salary cap and a salary floor. But he doesn't have those outrageous contracts, the billion dollars worth of contracts that he was able to enjoy last year. And unfortunately, a lot of his middle-class players don't get the deals either. But if he's got the top guys, he still is going to get the money. He's going to have the revenue share. because If he revenue share, the top guys still are going to make the money. But the greater good doesn't exist in his world. Correct. It's... It's every man for himself. That's right. Rather than having everybody do well, where a rising tide lifts all boats, that's not the case with Scott Boris and his clients. And it would be, if you had a revenue share, it would be a true partnership between the Players Association yeah. and the owners. But again, the distrust between the yeah. two of what what are the books on the owners, I, the players just aren't going to trust them. I, I don't think they do. No. Ever. Ever. No. And... It's amazing because Don Fear now trusts the hockey owners. They're able to come to a CBA right. during a pandemic. Michelle Roberts and uh, Adam Silver have a great relationship. They they work well together. Tamara Smith and Roger Goodell, although it looks like they clash at times, at the end of the day, there's trust in how much money the league is making and how much the players are getting from those revenues. But like you say, there is no trust, and it's hard to imagine there ever will be between baseball owners and players' association. I look at what's going on right now, I think, and we talked about it earlier i think universally well let me ask you this are we doing what's right for the game like you, you michael weiner was a good point uh, a good example he he was the players association and at one point he was doing things as an agent and he would try to negotiate and do the best for his players always mm-hmm. always i mean that's his job but at the back end of it it would always get to the point of what was best for the game Meaning, you know, I'm still going to get the money that I need to get from my client and and do the best for my guys. Mm-hmm. But yet, what's best for the game? 
meaning what's best for the, the game as a whole, for our fans, for baseball, for the owners, for the players, what's best for the game. And right now it's just, it's not being done best for the game. Bottom that's, line. that's a yeah. real problem right now. The DH needs to be done. And for the, the you know, majority of people think I, in generally speaking, not everybody, generally speaking, that has been accepted that, Hey, this is, this was pretty good this last summer. Not everybody likes it. Hell, I didn't like it at the beginning, but I, I looked at it and I go, ah, it's okay. Yeah, I, I, I can handle I can this. Handle this. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. I accept it. It worked. I kind of liked it actually as it went on. Why we're almost at Christmas and we don't have this decided crazy, yet? That's a, that's insanity. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Stupid because they don't trust each other. Right, and they can't negotiate that. That doesn't make any sense to, to be me. Easy. Yeah. Coming up. Scott Boris can be fun. We'll give you some of his lines from yesterday's meeting with the media next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions do matter. Time for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by SSM Health Express Clinic at Walgreens. Visit SSMHealth.com for more information. No winter meetings this year, but Scott Boris still had to have his meeting with the media. Usually he has a, a group around him at the winter meetings, Dan, about 10, 12, 14 deep. And people oh, just least. Ho- holding up their microphones from 20 feet away, hoping that they can just get a snippet of an echo of something that Scott Boris said. And he always has a, a catchy line. He comes in with a catchy yep. line, catchy phrase for that particular winter meeting. So it's always fun yeah, to hear that. A couple years ago, it was Harper's Bazaar when Bryce Harper right. was up, right? Yeah, it's fun. And, I get a kick out of it. Yeah, uh, I do too. It, it, he does it all in fun. Now, for example, you had Tom Ricketts, the owner of the Cubs, saying during the season that the Cubs had suffered biblical losses. Right, right. And Boris, his retort is, a lot of teams lost profits, great profits, but we know this. In operating the game and having baseball games, teams make money. Even without fans, we know that players playing baseball games makes money for MLB teams. Mm-hmm. Well, Scott is not in those offices, so he doesn't know the full inner workings of how much is going in and out. I will say that. Mm -hmm. Now, it's in his best interest to say we need to play games because his bottom line is affected by how much his players are making. His players were cut by 66% this year, so I wonder which side he's on. I would just say that. side, yeah. Yeah, I would just say that. I mean, let's be full disclosure yeah. here. He's he's going to be on the side of the players. He doesn't know what's going in and out and all the expenses that right. a team is incurring. One of his free agents this year is Jackie Bradley Jr., late of the Red Sox. And he said, JBJ is like PBJ. He's sweet and smooth, and he spreads it all over and covers <laughs> it well. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That is strong, isn't it? I, did I ever tell you the time I was I played basketball? Rick Ankiel was the center fielder at the time of the Cardinals, and we we're in Denver. And so we were playing pickup basketball, and I get on the uh, elevator, and there's Scott Boris. And I said, hey, Scott, what's going on? And he looks at me, and I'm just drenched in sweat. And he goes, kind of looks at me, and he goes, Dan, from the Cardinals, you look a little different. And I said, <laughs> And I said, you don't. <laughs> like that, and I said, you know, Scott, I don't have an agent, but uh, I'd consider you. I said, but not at your rate. 
I said, we need to have lunch. And he just looked at me like I was insane. And I <laughs> said, awesome. I said, Scott, I'm just joking. Okay, it's all good. I said, you do great work. And I got off the I got off the elevator. <laughs> and he just looked at me like I was insane. That's great. See, that's a fun game to play. Yeah. People like that. He's uh he's an interesting cat to say the least. Yeah. I, here's the thing. The guys that I've talked to that have had him as an agent and had him for a long time, they now we we hear him and we talk about him as if he's a villain. Because, I mean, he's a hard negotiator, mm-hmm. and he's got the biggest name in sports, in baseball. Um, the guys that have had him that I've talked to say he is absolutely incredible, incredible in how he treats his people, the job that he does, and the resources available for those players. I mean, from the mental side to the workout side, you go out to his compound in california to what's available for his players they say it's unbelievable it's not just some guy like jerry Maguire sitting down and okay here's the contract and i want you know 350 million dollars for my player it's the resources available for the player beyond just the contract they say he's just incredible played in the cardinal system with keith hernandez just reveres george kissel really oh, yeah. great george kissel and understands the game i think baseball somebody has missed the boat by not trying to bring him into their organization because he does get the sport. He, he's a, a good baseball man. My only problem with him is that he, I don't think he gives his players enough leeway to be the boss. I, I think, um, although players do, I've talked to some players that have said, hey, I, I want this deal, go get it. And he says, mm-hmm. okay. But they, a lot of them just say, go get me the best deal and I'm leaving it in your lap. Right. And, and they say, okay. Yeah. Then I'm I'm gonna do my job. So player X stay out. Stay out. Yeah. On the new Mets ownership, he said it's nice to have an owner with big apples. Because it's <laughs> the big apple. <laughs> On the Angels new GM, Perry Manasian, he said they have to solve the case of the lost playoffs. They've gone out and got their Perry Mason. <laughs> <laughs> It's and, pretty funny. Yeah. On uh, finally, on what the DH actually stands for in the commissioner's office, he said maybe in the commissioner's office, the DH stands for dragging their heels. Well, <laughs> I'll agree with that one. <laughs> By the way, if if you could have um, an agent in our business, which we do have agent, mm-hmm. I don't have an agent. Do you have an agent? No, I don't. Okay. Would you want Scott Boris to represent you? Yeah, I would. But I would want to be in charge. I would take control of my destiny. I would say, okay, you're the agent, but I'm not going to let you determine where I go. Yeah, I guess. I mean, if you were just going to squeeze every last... If your whole point was to squeeze every last dollar out of your short window to make that money, he's your guy. If you ever get a he's chance, one of them. Yeah. If you ever get a chance to read Ned Coletti's book, I'll give you a, a short version of this story. When Greg Maddox left the Cubs for the Braves, he had given a, a number, he, he had a number in mind that he had told Ned Coletti, who was the assistant GM at the time. And Coletti and Boris met, Coletti offered that number, and Maddox never heard about it. Maddox never heard about the offer. Winds up with Atlanta with a ridiculous deal. Next season, the Braves are in Chicago. Maddox stops by Ned's office and says, hey, why am I not here? And Ned said, well, I made the offer that you wanted and your agent didn't take it. And he said, what are you talking about? He said, I didn't didn't know about that. And Ned goes over to his file cabinet and says, yeah, I gave this to Scott. And Maddox had never heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I just think, to your point, I, I agree with you. Sometimes players just say, and I, I understand this too, it's such an emotional decision with because it, emotions do get involved. I mean, you don't want that. You don't want to hear about it. You don't want to know anything about it. Mm-hmm. You just put it in the agent's lap. That's why you have an agent, so that you, know, you don't get emotionally attached. That's right. like going to an arbitration case. Do you want to be in the middle of that room and hear the other side tell you about how no, bad you are? No. Yeah. I would want to be in that. I think if if Scott Boris was more in tune with all of his players, I think Andy Bennis would have spent absolutely the I back think end of his career here. I don't think he would have spent those two years in Arizona. No, I think he'd been here yeah. for sure. I've talked to Ann Keel about it. I mean, Ann Keel raves about it. Yeah, oh, and he did, I mean, great getting, things for uh, the, the sports psychologist. And sure. He, he did great things for Rick Ann Keel. No and doubt. other players. Yeah. I mean, he's incredible what he does. Yeah, There's he's, just he's, no doubting he, that. He is the best at what he does. Coming up, what bowl would we like to see the Mizzou Tigers in? That's coming your way with Dan and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We talked to Mark Schlebaugh of ESPN.com earlier and asked him what bowl he had Mizzou in, and he has them in the Outback Bowl, which is a fantastic bowl. Do you like Tampa, Florida? I'm a huge fan of Tampa, Florida. I love Tampa. I'm sure you went down there all the time for uh, Cardinal spring training. Yep. I love I love Tampa. Yep. The Outback Bowl is January 2nd at Raymond James Stadium. It's a an 11.30 game, St. Louis time. And Mark Schlebaugh has Iowa taking on Mizzou in that game. His partner, Kyle Bonagura, has Mizzou playing in a New Year's Day game. He's got them in the Citrus Bowl, and that's at Camping World Stadium in Orlando. And uh, Bonagura has Mizzou playing Northwestern. So it looks like... If Mizzou beats Mississippi State, that they have a chance to play in one of the premier bowl games. And like, like Mark said, we may have a winless Vanderbilt that's, team playing in a bowl. That's this year. stupid. That is ridiculous. It should not. And, and a team that is winless without a head coach in a bowl game, just because you got to fill a bowl game from the conference. Right. That's dumb. Preposterous. That's stupid. But you do have a host of SEC teams that are available. You've got the Birmingham Bowl. And right now, both Bonnegra and Schlebaugh have Mississippi State. Mizzou's going to be better than that because they'll finish with a better record and they'll be more attractive, I think, than Mississippi State. So that's not one. The Peach Bowl, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, both have Georgia against Cincinnati. And if you're the Peach Bowl, you want Georgia, right? Because you're in Atlanta. So that makes sense. And Mizzou's not going to get there. So I really do think, Dan, that it comes down to the Citrus Bowl the Gator Bowl, and that's Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss that they have in the Gator Bowl right now, or the Outback. So if you could choose between the Outback or the Citrus, what are you choosing? Citrus. I like Citrus Bowl. I you, think, like, you like Outback. I, well, I, I'm a big fan of Outback, Outback. first of <laughs> all. You want the, the you want the onion. Uh, I, yeah, I want that swag bag, man. <laughs> But I also you want 101 to have a trip down there, so you get to cover it. And yes. get an onion in the grab bag. Yes, I do. I think from a bowl perspective, Missouri is kind of attractive, and one of the reasons why Eli Drinkwitz. Yep, he has become yeah. attractive in terms of he. You know, he he's got a little Lane Kiffin in him. Have you noticed that? He does. He's got a little Lane Kiffin on social media. He, swagger. He, yeah, he's got swagger. He pokes the bear a little bit. 
I was thinking the other day, Randy, um, had a conversation with one of our colleagues here in the media in St. Louis, and uh, they and I think Dan Mullen now will not get SEC Coach of the Year. This person thought Mullen would get it or Jimbo Fisher. And I said, I, I got to look at, and this was prior to the Georgia game. Now, after the Georgia game, I think the the bloom is off a little bit on, on drink because the, the games that they've won, even the LSU game, and even with LSU beating Florida, the wins have been so-so. Not great, but they're still SEC wins. Mm-hmm. But the reason I, I look at drink is that he's come in in a pandemic, and you took over a team that wasn't very good, you're coming in with not really having any workouts in the summer. You're just getting acclimated to your team, and you're you're just thrown into these games, and you're not sure if you're going to play, and you're you're limited with what you can do in film room. I mean, all those things. Um, I, I really think if they win this weekend, he's going to get serious consideration for being the SEC Coach of the Year. I believe that. Mm-hmm. Nick Saban this will, is, too. Yeah, this is a program, though. That most people projected to win two or three games. That's right. And if you take the deep dive beyond the fact that he's doing it with a freshman quarterback. That's another reason. They've had more COVID problems at Mizzou than any other school in the SEC mm-hmm. in having to navigate around it. And they have been able to navigate around it. And the other part is, is he has made, this is what coaching is all about, he's made players better. This is an offensive line that should not be as good no. as it is. That's right. They aren't exceptionally talented, but he, he and his staff, Drinkwitz and his staff, are making them better and then scheming them to be better. And I think if you watch closely... Clock management has yeah, been very good. He, he's been just a really good Head coach, so I'm I'm with you. I think he's the coach of the year in the league, and I think most people would have thought at the beginning of the year, okay, well Kiffin's coming in, Mike Leach is coming in, like you said, Dan Mullen is really good, and if he wins the East, he's one of the guys that you have to look at. But, Jimbo is going to get some consideration. Yeah, he, he They're will. just outside the the top four. But based on the projection for what the team was supposed to be and what the team right. is, I would say. Eli. And you're right. You got to take a deep dive. Now, it's tough to do. I mean, you'd have mm-hmm. to take a deep dive with everybody. I mean, Florida had COVID problems. Mizzou's had their COVID. Everybody's had COVID problems. Yeah. Um, but clock management at the end of some of these games that they've won, which normally Mizzou loses, as we mm-hmm. know, they haven't done that. They've won some of these games. The other thing was one of their games, they were down to 52 scholarship players. Right. I mean, and they won that game. That was three or four weeks ago. So some of the things that they've South done. South Carolina. Yeah. yeah. They, th- that's impressive. And Again, in a pandemic um, and looking at how you're trying to navigate those waters and not having a full spring, so to speak, to kind of understand, okay, here's my personnel. Here's what I got. Who's buying into what I'm doing? This guy wants to lead the program. No problem. Here's a guy I have here. I'm just trying to learn about him. I'm trying to figure out what I've got. That's really, really tough to do, and you're doing it in the toughest conference in America. So I I give him a lot of credit for what he's been able to do. By the way, one other note here on bowl games. In a normal year, if Mizzou would ever play in the Music City Bowl, that would be fun and I would go. We went a few years ago because the Blues were playing in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And on New Year's, I guess it was right before New Year's, but the Music City Bowl was Notre Dame and... LSU and we went and bought good tickets at the gate. It was a lot of fun yeah. going to the Music City Bowl. But I would prefer to go to a place where it's warm. If I could get to Tampa for the Outback Bowl, and I'm not traveling this year. I went to the Outback Bowl a couple years ago. Did you? Yeah. But in a normal year, if I can get down to Tampa for the Outback Bowl, I'm there. 
That's what I normally go down over Christmas. I take my family down to Florida. It's usually like the only little time we get away. Mm-hmm. And we always, I take my boys to a bowl game. Nice. That's I great. Loved, I, and you can, it, bowl games, it, it, I think it may surprise people. You can get tickets They're to a bowl. never sold out. Never. You can get the tickets. Even yeah. uh, the top bowl games outside of, I guess, a national championship. I've never right. been to a national championship game. But even the higher end bowl games, you can get really good seats to those games. Yeah, and it's fun to go. Day up. Yeah. It's fun. All right. I got to get your take on this, Dan, because you have young kids. January 10th, CBS has a playoff game. And in addition to having the game on CBS, they're going to show the game NFL on... NFL game, right? Yeah, NFL okay. playoff game that is on Nickelodeon geared <laughs> towards the kid demographic. The oh. demographic of kids. Are your kids still watching Nickelodeon, SpongeBob, and stuff like that? No. Okay. Did I tell you I met the voice of uh, uh, Patrick? No. Oh, oh, SpongeBob. SpongeBob. So it's going to be Noah Eagle. He's the radio voice of the Clippers and the son of Ian Eagle of CBS. And analysts Nate Burleson of CBS Sports and Nickelodeon performer Gabriel Neva Green, who appears on All That and Unfiltered. Haven't seen either of those. The sideline reporter will be 14-year-old Lex Lumpkin, who works with Green on All That and Unfiltered. I'm interested to, well, hold to on, see. Hold on, hold on, hold yeah, on. i got to ask you a question. Lumpkin. So the demographic, let's talk about the demographic. Let's break that down. So kid demographic, what are we talking about here? Like 5 to... 11? I would think probably 5 to 17, maybe? 6 to 17? 17-year-olds aren't watching Nickelodeon, are they? Well, you've got a 14-year-old that's on the show. Yeah, probably not, but that would be the high end of the demographic. Okay. But you've got a 24-year-old play-by-play man. You've got a guy in, in Nate Burleson who has young kids and can relate to those kids. I'm just interested to see, and I think it's a brilliant move on the part of the NFL because Every sport needs to cultivate a younger audience. Oh, yeah. Look at that pass over the middle. It took his head off. Yeah, that, let's go right to the kids. What do you think of that on the sideline? What did you see? Well, he just dislocated his shoulder. Uh, we're not sure he's getting carried off on a stretcher. Come on. No, it's, it's going to be great. Come because, on. No, th- those have been – hitting has been legislated out of the NFL. It's a kid's show now. Oh, that's right. Targeting. Oh, that was a yeah. target. Let's go to the replay. Pre-game coverage on Nickelodeon January 10th begins with the SpongeBob SquarePants Countdown Special featuring Von Miller of the Denver Broncos. Oh, yeah. Von Miller that was uh, – well, Von Miller had um, – he was part of a uh, – didn't he have – Performance enhancing drugs. Yeah, okay. it was an accident. All right, so that's what we they can, we can look past that. that. I can look past that. Danny, that's no they, big deal. They are going to mention that. All right, no problem. Um, okay. I wish baseball would do this. Baseball's fine. That's America's pastime. But I wish they would do something geared toward kids. I agree, but I'm just saying it's a very violent sport, Randy. So I'm not sure how you gear football to a six year old. Well, here's the thing. If that's my point is if you're a father and you want your kid to be entertained because the kid's going to wind like up watching. If a six-year-old wants to play football, that's fine. I'm just I'm saying how are you going to gear the hey, broadcast towards kids? Here's the thing, Dan. I don't believe I may have been dramatically affected by watching football.
football in the late 60s and early 70s. When I was six and seven years, I watched Dick Butkus take guys' heads off. Yes. One of my great memories in life There's is, Jack Lambert, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. One of my great memories in life is watching the football Cardinals' Tim Carney clotheslining Dave Hampton of the Eagles. <laughs> it's one of my great memories. So, and, and now and, look at you. And I, Well... This is open to debate, I guess. That's what I'm trying to say. I consider myself somewhat normal. Some people would say no. But I do think that there is a spot for kids to watch the NFL, whether it's, hey, can it be more violent than Wiley Coyote? Well, when he drops the the, uh, (laughs) the rock or the iron or whatever. Okay. All right. I'm sold. Let's do it. I am so so you have totally turned my perspective on this. So, yeah, it's kind of like the naked gun when they had the uh, you, you've released the lion in center field. That was the best. Yeah. That, you might as well throw the, that out there, too. What did you like better? The guy who uh, went up to make the spectacular over the wall catch and, and his head his fell head. off? <laughs> right. Or the tiger <laughs> taking out the runner at second base? I like the tiger at second base, actually. I liked um, I want to see a referee do something like Enrico Palazzo. Enrico. Yeah, that'd be great. Singing the anthem or <laughs> do, doing the dance? The doing dance. The, I, want the that on, I want that on a replay. <laughs> Five yards or ten yards for holding and it does the splits. There you go. Coming up, Pete <laughs> Abraham from the Boston Globe was the one to break the story about Major League Baseball perhaps delaying spring training. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> With the voice of the Cardinals, Dan McLaughlin. I'm Randy Carricker on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And Tanner told you about baseball perhaps moving back the start of spring training. The first we heard of it, the man who broke the story, Pete Abraham in the Boston Globe. And Pete joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Pete, thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Everything's great. I want to start with this because you covered the story, obviously, through your reporting. You you got an idea of what's going to happen. So what do you think is going to happen? Do you think there's any chance, based on what you know, of them getting baseball, getting spring training started in February? You know, in the last two weeks, every time I've spoken to, whether it's an agent or somebody affiliated with the Red Sox, the team I, I primarily cover, you hear, well, when, whenever spring training starts or whenever we get to Florida or if we get to Florida, nobody seems to be very convinced that spring training is going to start on time in February. And, and they have a schedule. They, they have dates to report, but no one seems to think that that's actually going to happen. I guess the question now is how far will they push it back? Will, will they still have spring training in Florida or in Arizona? And is there some kind of plan to have a, a shorter regular season? And I think a lot of that, that, that's going to be a, a big bone of contention between the union and the owners in the next few weeks. Do you see the players ever accepting fewer than 162 games? I, I don't. I, I think after what happened last year, they're obviously frustrated, and they look at all the other sports, and they're saying, hey, they're getting through this, and the players are saying, I, yeah, hey, we want our 162. Do you, do you see them accepting this? No, I, I certainly don't. And you look at what they were able to accomplish last year at the World Series. They they had games and they had fans in the stands and there was no big outbreak. And uh, it was successful. They they managed to get through the entire postseason. And at least in the, in the ALCS and the World Series, they had fans. So in the minds of the Players Association, they've proven that they can do this and, and that there's no reason that they can't bring that same formula to 30 other ballparks and, and get through a season until more people or most people have the vaccine. And 
I, to me, I mean, as somebody who wants to watch baseball, I, I don't see why that wouldn't work. I, I went to the World Series and I covered that, and it worked. Um, there weren't as many people in there as you would you know, expect down the road, but they had 11,000, almost 12,000 people for some of the games. So I don't know why if, um, you know, the only reason the owners would want to shut this down is, is they, they feel like they're going to lose money without having full houses. And Pete, it seems to me, and here you are in one of the best baseball markets. Here we are in the other. I think we can argue which is number one, but these are definitely the two best baseball towns in America. You would think that ownership at some level would want to get fans in there and build up rather than waiting a month and then trying to fill it up. That's what I would think. Yeah, and I'm sure in this case, this is something where I doubt all 30 owners are on the same page with this. I'm, you know, knowing... St. Louis and Boston and, and New York. And there were places where even if they can only get a third of the fans in there safely in the beginning, they, they're going to want to have, they're going to want to have their games and baseball is such an important part of those communities. And, and there's, I think the priorities are different maybe than they would be in other places where the owners would be more bent on trying to save money and, and cutting payroll. Uh, I think I don't, I don't see the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Cardinals or the Dodgers, you know, being a, being in clubs that want to have fewer games. I would think they'd want to have all 162. Pete, do you think this is just from some of the owners posturing, getting ready for the CBA and trying to, to, to really put pressure on the Players Association? I think that's part of it, and I think they, they sense that the union, uh, that, that they can bend the union to their will because they were able to do it last year and, and only have a 60-game season. Uh, Scott Boris made the comment yesterday that he thought they could have played 100 games based on the protocols and that they waited too long to start the season. And given... I guess there's two ways of looking at that. They were able to get through 60 games, but it was touch and go for a stretch. So uh, there's two ways that you can look at that if on both sides. But I, uh, to me, it seems like at this point, given what the other leagues have been able to do, that they, they should be able to get through 162. Pete Abraham from the Boston Globe with us on 101 ESPN. I want to ask you about the Red Sox because we, we look at the Cardinals and the Cardinals are kind of in a transition period. And it seems like with the trade of Mookie Betts last year that the Red Sox moved into a transition period under their new GM, Pobo uh, Bloom. Where are the Red Sox right now? Oh, it's it's very much a transition period. And they're, they're you know losing a guy like Mookie Betts and then you see him lead the Dodgers to the World Series championship. That's um, the Red Sox fans are, are very angry about that. They're used to being the team that takes another good player from somebody, not gives one up. And they haven't done anything really since. They they had a, a very poor season with a lot of AAA kind of level players. The only thing they've really done of note in the off season was they signed Hunter Renfro, who's essentially a platoon outfielder, a platoon corner outfielder. So they haven't made any sort of substantial moves that are going to get them back into contention. The belief is they're going to add some pitching. They're going to get a center fielder. They're going to get a second baseman. But none of that's happened yet. And I, as somebody who's covered the Red Sox, this is going on my 12th season. I've never seen the fan base so frustrated, so angry. And it's, um, it's, it's weird because usually in coming off of bad seasons, the Red Sox have been very active in terms of adding big-time players and, and trying to you know, get back to where they think they should be. And they haven't done that yet. And uh, there's a lot of people here who are just wondering you know, what their plan is and if they do even intend to contend this year. Pete, what is your read on the health of Chris Sale? Will he ever be back to what he was? Well, you know, Tommy John, you know, you know, there's so many guys who've had Tommy John and come back from it and pitch successfully. So I don't think there's a question that he can come back and pitch successfully. Now, I don't know if he's going to be the same guy with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and that devastating slider and a Cy Young contender, but he can certainly be a good, solid Major League starter. It's, um, 
they were, they were going to be very cautious with him. He's, they made the mistake, I guess, of signing him to a long-term deal before he, they found out he had Tommy John surgery. But I, I don't think this is going to be the kind of thing they're going to rush him back. Uh, they're going to wait and make sure that he gets through the minor league progression and builds up his arm. This, he, he, when he comes back, they want him to be ready to pitch six or seven innings. They don't want to bring him back when he's still at the stage where he's going two or three. So you might not see him in a major league uniform until the all-star break. Pete, you do a great job of not only covering the Red Sox, but all the Major League Baseball. I'm really curious, do you see the market, even with the comments yesterday, at some point picking up after Christmas and going into January? Well, you know, I think a lot of it's probably going to depend on what what the situation is with the schedule, because if owners don't know if there's going to be a full 162-game schedule, then how do you properly pay the players? And, and if you're a marquee free agent, how are you going to negotiate a good contract if, if the team doesn't know how long the season's going to be? So I think for some players, they're going to be immune to that. If, if you're DJ LeMahieu or, you know, a guy who's a, a, no doubt, you know, going to sign a long-term contract for big money, I think those guys are going to get what they're going to get. I think it's going to be the middle class of free agents who are going to be up in the air. And, and you're going to see good players who are unsigned, I think, into late January, early February. So here we are, and uh, Major League Baseball is a mystery. It's Everything is a mystery about Major League Baseball right now. And, and you know, as somebody who loves baseball, I mean, I, I do it for a living, but I also love the sport. I mean, it's unfortunate because you see, you know, the NFL is doing what they're doing. The NBA has completed its season and is now starting up another one. Uh, the same is true of the NHL. It just seems like baseball has handled this poorly, and it goes back to last year, and, and now we're back in the same position where it's going to be weeks and weeks, if not months and months, of the, of the owner's arguing with the Players Association. And, I mean, I'm sure you guys are baseball fans, too. I mean, none of us want to see that. We want to see our teams on the field. And, and it's just, to me, it's they're doing a disservice to the entire sport. And I hate to say this, but I, I fast forward to this time next year, and you have to wonder if we're talking about the same kind of stuff next year. Would you agree? Well, yeah. Is there going to be a lockout? Because the, the collective bargaining agreement is going to expire after the coming season. And you wonder, yeah, what, what kind of situation are we going to be in a year from now? Uh, you'd like to hope that cooler heads will prevail and they'll get something done. But given the relationship right now, going back to last year, uh, you, you know, you really have to wonder where things are going to go. Mm. Pete, great stuff. Thanks so much for the time and keep up the great work at the Boston Globe. We love reading you all the time and hopefully we'll be able to do this again. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you, you very much. It. Pete Abraham does great work covering the Red Sox for the Boston Globe. Frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, it shouldn't be a mystery. Right? I, I think he hit it on the head, and we talked about it at the very uh, very beginning of the show. The prevailing thought, I think, with a average sports fan, not even somebody that dives into baseball like we do. Just you're an average sports fan. You're saying, now, wait a minute. Hockey's getting going, and the NFL's going to have the Super Bowl done by then, and college football somehow got through this, and college basketball, whether you agree with it or not, they're going to continue to go through this. And you did. Yeah. Last year, you, and you, you did started, last you year. Got through it. Yeah, you were one of the first ones that did it. Sixty games, but mm-hmm. you got through it, and now you're not going to do it with the vaccine in really in full force at that point right. in time. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, we've got a great story, interesting story coming up. Nolan Arenado, the Rockies trying to engage a team to move oh, Arenado. Here we go again. We'll tell you about that next on One Hundred and One ESPN. Stop it, Randy. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. (laughs) 
understand the Colorado Rockies have been open to trading Nolan Arenado for a couple of years, and the Mets reportedly are high on the list of teams that they'd like to engage in discussions. According to John Morosi of MLB Network, he said, the team I'm watching very carefully that I was told even this week is the team that the Rockies want to engage with is the New York Mets. The Rockies want to sign Trevor Story. He's a free agent after this season, and to do so, they would have to move Arenado off of their books. They don't want to trade Arenado to the Dodgers. They'd prefer to trade him to a team outside the NL West. And as far as what a uh, trade package from the Mets might look like, Morosi suggested that Robinson Cano could be part of the deal in order to help offset the massive amount of money still owed to Arenado. Beyond that, he speculated that perhaps Brandon Nimmo and a prospect could round out a deal. Interesting. Um, If you look at the teams that could afford Arenado in COVID-19 times, the one that comes to mind for sure would be the Mets. Yep. They're the ones that you'd say for sure, yeah, we can take on that salary. I found it fascinating that you heard from their front office the other day said, you know, there's a couple commodities you have as a front office guy that you look at. You look at players, prospects, and money. And we got one of them, money, and we got a lot of it. I mean, you just don't hear that. (laughs) Uh You don't hear a guy say that. And he came out and said it. It was Sandy Alderson. He came out and said that the other day. Um, That would certainly be a fit um, and would make some sense. And with Cano out, Jeff McNeil can move to second Second base. base. Right. Arenado would be plug and play at third. I think that would be interesting. He's got $190 million left on his deal, and there's no doubt that he wants out of there, and he does have a no trade. And they want to take that money off of their books. And he's got the opt-out after 2021. So Which no, he will the, not opt out of. There's no. no chance that he opts out of that thing. The, the only way that he would opt out is... There is no chance. None. No way. But How could he possibly opt out of that? Because he's already made life-changing money in the first few years of the contract. Uh, unless, if he hates it enough, and he knows that he's going to be able to get... But he's not twenty-two million over four years or whatever. He get, won't get eighty-eight over four. No, no way. He, In these times, well, after twenty twenty-one, times will be different, though. I'm saying no way. I wouldn't opt out if I were him. No. But I don't. I'm not so sure that if I were him, I would agree to a deal to the Mets either. Why? Because. I can just stay in Denver where I like it. But he says that he wants to win. He's frustrated that they're not doing things. Why isn't Story already signed? And and here's the thing. When when players sign those kinds of deals, they get frustrated when they look around the infield and the outfield and they say, well, where are the other players? And then they don't understand, well, the money that's mm-hmm. been allocated to you, we can't allocate to other players. Those resources are to you. Right. We can't allocate it to other places. But we keep hearing, Dan... And he has said it, but we hear it from Matt Holiday as well, who spends a lot of time with Nolan. Wants to be here. His biggest thing is he wants to win. And I've heard he wants to be here, too. And they, Right. Everybody seems to agree that this is where he wants to be. Or so, at least one of the landing spots. And remember, Verlander took it to the last, literally the last second before he went to Houston because he thought he was going to be a member of the Cubs. Mm-hmm. And he waited until midnight at the deadline. Well, 11.59 and 30 seconds before he told his agent, okay, I'll go to Houston because he knew the Cubs weren't going to engage Detroit to try to get him. 
But I, I would have to think that Arenado, if he does desperately want to be here, and that's what we hear, that he would probably take that approach, is do everything he could to force a trade here before he would go to New York. If that's the, the deal, that's not much. But that tells you then that the money situation is crazy in baseball, that if you're giving up Cano, who's got $48 million after this year left on that deal, and this year there's no money. Right, so that's 48. Nimmo, fine. Another prospect, yeah. fine. I mean, they're just trying to dump that contract, right. period. Just get rid of it. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But how much is Trevor Story going to make? you got five other shortstops, including him, with that. This that, is that free agency class. This is what we learned in school, those of us that went that particular day to the economics class. And I guess I did because I remember it. But I learned about supply and demand. Yeah. And the supply, I would think even... As great as these shortstops are, is going to dramatically outweigh the demand, the number of teams that have the kind of money that those players will generally command. Arenado is a hall, on a Hall of Fame track. Mm-hmm. You get him to New York, um, it would make sense. You put him in a lineup next to Pete Alonso, McNeil. It's a good team. It's a real good team. They're going to have Noah yeah. Syndergaard coming back. They're pretty good. And everything that we hear about the Dodgers, which is where he's from, is that they're interested in Lindor and moving Seager to third base. Which would make sense. So that would be two of the five shortstops right there. Wow. (laughs) Well, the rich get richer, right? That's the way it would be. Hey, Dan, do you think there's a Cardinal heading into 2021 that can change our perception? And obviously the guy that people have a really bad perception of now is Matt Carpenter. But we tend to forget that it was just... Three years ago, it was it, it was two seasons ago that he finished with 36 home runs and 78 extra base hits. Top 10 in the uh, MVP. Yeah. I, I don't know if he can change it at this stage. He's had two bad seasons in a row. I don't know if he can change it back, but, man, I, I see that he's done it in the past. Can he be a 78 extra base hit guy? Mm. I, I don't know, but can he be a 50 extra base hit yeah. guy? Could he be a guy that hits 15 homers and 35 doubles? I for think sure. he could. Yeah, I think that could happen. Um, there's a lot of things that need to go right for this offense. You're banking on a lot of guys having bounced back years, which we've heard before, or banking on their potential to finally come through. And it's the same cast of characters that we talk about a lot. Tyler O'Neill, who, by the way, is kind of going in the wrong direction yeah. when you look at Slug and OPS. Uh, I'm still intrigued with Lane Thomas. And... I'm going to throw last year out the window because of COVID-19. He, he just wasn't right. Mo even addressed that in his press conference, the first one of two that he's had this year that it really did affect him. When I've seen him in small sample sizes, I've really liked what I've seen. Do you give him a run? That could change a perception of what you see collectively from the outfield group. I do think that there needs to be a left-handed bat somewhere added to that outfield group. Maybe it's Justin Williams. Um, I think the perception maybe towards the tail end of a season for DeYoung would change yeah. if he finishes up and has a strong finish. That would change because he tails off in the second half of years. That's got to change. Um, I think the perception of Goldschmidt would change where he's been a really good player. I mean, mm-hmm. he can't do much better than he's been, but if he would just go off and have a monster season, and he hasn't disappointed in my mind. He's been what you thought. It's just he needs more around him. So that teams pitch yeah, to him, right? That's that's what you have to have. Yeah. And I do think last year was so weird. I'm willing to throw that out the window too. These this is a list of players that were among the bottom 32 in all of baseball, bottom 32 in OPS among qualifying hitters. Carlos Correa 
was among the bottom 32. Yoan Mancata, Kyle Schwarber, Carlos Santana, Josh Reddick, J.D. Martinez, wow. Marcus Simeon, Joey Gallo, who we thought had a great year, right? Uh, uh, Colton Wong obviously was in that group. Josh Bell was in that group. Avisail Garcia, Yuli Gurriel, uh, Jose Altuve was among that group in the lowest 32 in Major League Baseball in OPS. Uh, Marwin Gonzalez, Javi Baez. Javi Baez was third from the bottom. Out of 142 qualifying Major League hitters in OPS, Baez was number 140. So I'm willing, when I look at that list, to say that there was just something weird about last year. I don't think a lot of players were engaged. I agree. And he especially, because it was early on that he said... I really can't hit if I don't have video. Did you? Well, I that was interesting when yeah. he said that. You know that he just didn't feel comfortable without the video. I also, when I was watching some of the, especially the veteran players, just watch the eye test. <clears throat> I I felt that certain players, and this is not just Cardinal. I, I just felt like watching Major League Baseball. Some of the veterans, and you just mentioned a bunch of them. They weren't engaged. No. And it, maybe it was because of the fans. Maybe it was because they started late. There was no really no spring training. It was, you know, Camping World 2.0 or whatever they called it. Um, they just weren't engaged. It, it didn't feel right for them. They didn't feel to, uh, feel right off the, the bat. Um, there wasn't energy in the ballpark. I mean, all those things. The mm-hmm. fan energy in, inside it. The, you do yeah, feel it, energy from the, the crowd. It just wasn't the same. Um, now, other players, they got through it, and that's you can't use it as an excuse. I mean, other players, they somehow did, and they found a way, but, but other players different. didn't. I, agreed. Um, but some guys just were like, man, I'm kind of – it just looked like, and I'm not saying they did this. It just looked like, hey, I'm here to get my check every yeah, couple weeks. I'm with you. We would like to thank our friends at I Promise, who will provide you the opportunity to hear anything on this show. If you didn't hear it, check out the podcast at 101ESPN.com. And that podcast is brought to you by I Promise every single day here with Carriker and Smallman. Danny Mac in for Michelle. What do you got coming up on uh, the scoops? Brian Walton, hard look at the minor leagues and some of the... That's right. A couple guys coming up potentially this year, so we'll get into that. Also a review of... What happened at the virtual winter meetings last uh, last week? And also a look ahead with uh, what's going on with Major League Baseball. Brian Walton coming up. Also talk a little college football and uh, the college football rankings. One through four stay the same, but that could change with some movement this weekend. We'll see. All right. Thank you, sir. Great job by our producer engineer, Tanner Hendrickson. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we all appreciate you tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. And until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast. Powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The College Football Playoff Committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the College Football Playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the College Football Playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at betonline.net. 
And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. The people who looked through 200 resumes to fill a job also waited 40 minutes for their internet to dial up. You don't wait 40 minutes for your internet to dial up. You use Upwork to quickly hire talent. This is how we work now. 